On this episode, we discuss Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Are we going to be members of the Kang gang or are we going to be Fant-Men? <laughs> Sorry, I spit out nuts while I was doing that hilarious joke. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Hey guys, how do we get so laid back? <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling <laughs> groovy. It's because I watched Ant Man and the Wasp Quaalude Mania. Oh, <laughs> oh that explains it. Really dude. takes the edge off of an endless, seemingly never ending series of decreasingly quality films. Hey. Ooh. Whoa. Hey, harsh in my mellow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know who those characters were, but this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Or a movie, look, a movie that maybe didn't get such great reviews on the one hand or maybe, maybe got Stan's rejected by Marvel movie. people. Maybe this is your favorite one. Who knows? I like Marvel movies, and this is the first one we're doing, so let's see what happens. True. Um, you say yeah. make mine Marvel or make mine MODOK, whichever mm-hmm. matters. Mmm, I say. Mmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that mmm stands for Make Mine Modoc Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we watch Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, uh-huh. the uh, third Ant Man film uh, in, in the Ant Man series. Not, and wait, not, let's, his, not his third appearance overall. Let, but let's take a moment. You know what? I, as we'll get through this episode, you'll see I have yeah. mixed feelings about this film. But let's say how. how Nice it is to live in a world where you can say the third Ant-Man film in the Ant-Man <laughs> series. Yeah. yeah. I still kind of wish I'd seen the Edgar Wright version of that Ant-Man movie. A hundred thousand percent. A hundred thousand million is, percent. I'm glad that, you know, after Bring It On and Down With Love, uh, he's, 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 he's seeing the success. Anyway. Um, yeah. All he yeah, had to do was so, – And Peyton all Reed had, directed all three of them, right? Yeah. Yes. Because because in this world, to get success currently as the entertainment industry is uh, operated, all you have to do is attach yourself, Remora-like, to an enormous bloated corporate IP so that you can oh. gobble up the crumbs that fall out of that shark's mouth as it swims <laughs> through the ocean. Worked for Martin Scorsese. Jake <laughs> <laughs> talking about yeah, yeah. When he directed when he when he directed that Harry Potter movie, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> When, when Martin Scorsese took on the Hasbro Library of Titles and, and did that uh, that mask movie for the Hasbro the Hasbro <laughs> Cinematic Universe, yeah, 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 his his wacky races from for Hanna Barbera. <laughs> I would love, honestly, I would love to see his Martin Scorsese direct a wacky wacky races movie. <laughs> wacky races or wacky racers? I don't know. Was it, it the be, race that was wacky or the racers that were wacky? That's actually a really good. Otherwise, uh, sensible race. I th- <laughs> well, what may, I mean, I guess the the parameters of the race were basically pretty sensible, right? It was just you know your typical I mean, whoever gets there first. Yeah, you know? but you're puttering around through space. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, I mean, aren't we all kind of puttering through space though? <laughs> oh, I know I am <laughs> these days. Forget yeah, the, about old, it. the older I get. Uh, so the uh, 
so we're talking about Ant-Man movies today, right? Or mm-hmm. one in particular. Guys, yeah, and this I am- is, as we, we said, this is the first time we've done an actual MCU Marvel movie. We've done, I feel like every every Spider-Man villain spinoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've done DC And a bunch movies. of DC. Yeah, and we did the Sony Super Marvel characters, but not the Marvel Super Marvel characters, not the ones in the MCU proper. Uh, yeah. Guys, why do you think this is that we've taken so long to get to an MCU movie? I mean, because they've all basically been pretty good. And I mean, like, I, you know, and pretty good, well, not great, is enough to avoid our ire most of the time. I feel like, like there's, been a, there's been a relatively high level of quality throughout yes. the Marvel series. Now, uh, that high level of quality is sometimes uh, hurt by the repetitiveness of the films. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's they're mostly enjoyable most of the yeah. time, right, Stu? I think I think Scott Tobias on a on a podcast described the the Marvel movies as having a kind of low ceiling but a kind of high basement like the the best are not you know the best movie of the year or anything but the worst are rarely that bad like they're yeah. they're pretty similar. Yeah. They have a pretty like they all kind of hit in the same zone. It's rare that I'll I'll watch a Marvel movie and I'll feel the kind of despair that I feel watching some of the DC movies where mm-hmm. I start being like I, I just want to. I just want to see colorful characters having adventures. Why? Why is the Flash saving someone from from a, a bus hitting them being treated as if uh, there's no beauty in the world why and everything did, is terrible? Why did Jimmy Olsen just get killed? <laughs> why, why did? Why did the heroes beat the villain senseless and then <laughs> chop his unconscious head off of his body as they threw him through a portal at, at his boss as if to say, "You'll get this if you come through." That's not a hero. Did happen though. Yeah, we're not it did just happen. goofing. That wow, that's that's pretty wild. That, that really <laughs> happened. You know, what's amazing in that Justice League movie is they bring Superman to life. It's silly, but then he immediately attacks the other heroes, and that could just be a thing that happens. You know, in you those movies. See how, yeah, you gotta see but how in, powerful he is. But I feel like in the Marvel movies, everyone has a disagreement and fights. But in the DC movies, the heroes are often trying to murder each other in a way that uh, is a little too, a little too real, a little too bleak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, are you guys ready to go to the fucking quantum realm? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Let's do that. I, sure. I never, I never thought I was, and then I did. Now I'm gonna make an, I'm gonna make a confession. I have. This is the first time I've sat through an entire full Ant Man movie. I watched the first half of the first Ant Man movie, and then around the time he started being like, "I've got powers," what? I lost interest. I've seen enough movies where people are. I've seen all the movies that I need to, where someone does something amazing and then looks at their hands like, "Did I do that?" And so, unless it's Urkel and he has powers, and he's going, "Did I do that?" I mean, and he, goes, he does have powers. He suddenly mm-hmm. has got like power powers. to charm America. He goes, "Got any cheese?" And then everyone, half the people in the universe, turn into cheese, and, and they've got uh-huh. to stop him. Uh, yeah. But I, I saw, and I never saw the second one, Ant Man and the Wasp, a movie that I'm not sure is real. Did you guys see it? Is that a real yeah, movie? I yeah, yeah I saw. Goggins in it. Yeah, I mean, the, I would make a mild argument for the second one being slightly better because I think it's breezier. Like, it doesn't spend as much time on, like, setting a bunch of stuff up and leans into, like, the idea of, like, this is just, like, the zany corner of the universe, like, where we okay. do a straight comedy. And, they, yeah, there's there one thing about about the, the those two movies is that they're kind of grounded in the real world of San Francisco mm-hmm. and that Scott Lang has problems that are fairly relatable, like in, in a sense, like they're like, I don't want to say they're like low stakes or anything, but they're, 
almost street level problems where he yeah. is, he's an ex-con. He can't he can't get caught fooling around with high tech stuff, so he can't break his parole because if he does that, he will lose custody or lose visitation rights with his daughter Cassie. Even though his ex-wife Judy Greer is lovely and amazing, and I, she should be in more TV shows, why did they cancel her show? Yeah, why uh, did they? And Bobby Cannavale, she, she was not the being, she was not the reason that they canceled her show. <laughs> Bobby Cannavale uh, plays her her new husband, and you know what? He's actually not that bad of a guy either. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and yes, yeah, so Stuart says they're they're you know, I mean, obviously in a real world they would be. Tremendous, bizarre threats, but in the MCU, these are small local threats that he's fighting, and you know it, they're it, like, like shrinking and getting big, and like they're in like yeah. getting a fight in so, the kitchen. So, so where is Captain, Captain America? Is like a man out of time, and he was frozen. And he doesn't understand our, the modern world. And Iron Man just spent forty-four billion dollars to try to prove that he's funny, and it's and it's crashing <laughs> and burning spectacularly. <laughs> uh, with Ant Man, it's more like. Hey, you know, I just gotta, I gotta get through the day, you know, and uh, maybe every now and then uh, I'll have to fight a bad guy for something. But. Yeah, and so obviously the thing to do is to put him in a cosmic world where none of that grounded stuff is there. Put him in a two-hour episode of <laughs> Rick and Morty. Well, I, and, with, and it's written by a Rick and Morty writer, and it feels oh, like it was. It feels like they kept saying to him, "More Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty it up," because the when yeah. they when they have an alien going, "How many holes do you have?" and it's like. I don't okay. Like just the this let's at a certain point it really didn't feel like an Ant Man movie anymore, and uh, or even a Marvel movie anymore. Mm. It st started feeling like a what I'll say throughout watered down Star Wars. What is that possible? Watered down, but Star Wars is, is so strong. Yeah. How could you water it down? Well, we'll I find mean, out. Star Wars has been doing it to itself for years. <laughs> I Whoa, know what that's what that Radiohead song was about. You do it to yourself, yeah. Star Wars. That's what that I, is. That I, don't, I don't know that song. Yo, uh, can you send me a link? <laughs> <laughs> or can you just sing the whole song I'll into a tape this. recorder later and send Can't that to you? Can't get the stink out of this added special effect. Meow, 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 meow. Anyway, oh, wow. So it's a, it's a whole song about Star Wars. Most of the Radiohead songs are about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kid A, it's Anakin Skywalker. Uh, oh, that actually makes course. a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot okay, of sense. Okay, computer, that's what Han Solo tells his computer. <laughs> <laughs> when his computer says something that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So the first Ant-Man, Paul Rudd gets Ant-Man powers. Second Ant-Man, I guess they introduce the quantum realm where if you shrink too much, you end up in a in a microverse. They a actually introduce it in the first one, but it's oh, mainly- I don't Oh, it's very brief, Yeah. Okay, it's very brief, much like Ant-Man himself. This is where my wife, Michelle Pfeiffer, went. <laughs> Dan, you're married to Michelle what? Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah, yeah uh, and, don't tell Audrey. And my uh, enemy. I mean, actually do tell. She would be so excited, She would be, be very impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shit. Yeah. Also, his enemy, Corey Stahl. Stahl, Stahl goes mm. there. You might know him as the fellow who wears a very convincing hairpiece in The Strain. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that is what I know. Well, about. he was the villain in the first one, and now you know he shows up as another character that we all know and love. That and, has and an what, acronym as a name. <laughs> wasn't he a recurring character on Girls? Also, uh, Corey Stahl. Oh, maybe. I think yeah, that's I where I know from. Did he play the? Did he play the? He was like a. He's like an Anderson Cooper type. Uh, it yeah, has been so. so long since I've seen an episode of Girls. So. <laughs> 
Mm, maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, and there's no way of finding out. It's impossible. Uh, I think I'm thinking of somebody else. Oh no, there he is. Yeah, Dill Harcourt. Girls. Okay, that's yep, what I know. That's it. what I know him from. So, so just, so is to there see a him plot as a, to this movie? <laughs> well, there kind of isn't. So let's get okay. into it. It is. This is one of those movies that has the least. The the way this plot is triggered is right out of a '60s Disney Kurt Russell live action film. Uh, so. Uh, we start, we're in a gl- goopy, glowy fantasy world. Get used to it. We're going to be in a world of yeah. goopy purple caves for the re- like we're in, we're in Prince's subconscious for a lot of this movie. <laughs> it's just purple everywhere. Everything's kind of flowy and sensuous, but in a not And everything's kind of paisley. So that and makes yeah, sense. Kinda, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer, she is like a, she's like a, living there as a nomad or a, or a farmer or something, she sees a flare and she gets a weapon. She runs out and uh, the weapon is her wasp sting bracelet and there's a bunch of creatures and she shoots wasp sting lasers at them and then she gets saved from the last creature by Jonathan Majors who's like, what is this place? Bump, 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 end of cold open. Now, guys, uh, do you think Marvel is a little not feeling great about pinning the next phase <laughs> of their movies on someone who is not necessarily someone showing his best face to the world at the a moment? A bunch of uh, credible <laughs> accusations against yeah, yeah. They, I think they're uh, they're they're shuffling. They're shuffling it's, things it's like, around. It's like it's like uh, the DC universe was dealing with their whole uh, Flash debacle, and Marvel's like, "Well, we don't have to worry about that." And Jonathan Majors is like, now, uh, I, "Hold my it's beer." It's also it's also interesting because there's another cast member who'd had some uh, like some public issues as well. Evangeline Lilly before making this. There were some issues with her being an, I what anti vaxxer Yeah, yeah, and also and, some issues with Bill Murray and onset behavior, and he's in true. this movie. Yeah. Um, but with Evangeline Lilly, it feels like they actually took action because the Wasp has like four lines in the whole movie. It's crazy that it's called Ant-Man and the Wasp, and there's very little Wasp in this movie. There's not that much Ant-Man at a certain point, well, to be honest. There's a fair amount of original Wasp. Maybe that's the Wasp they switched Maybe. over I mean, they, to. They should, have, they should have called the movie Ant-Man and Wasp and Friends, Quantumania. <laughs> uh-huh. The Ant Family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, but I this mean, whole, Family the, Quantumania is a great title for this and a better yeah. title. Yeah. But the movie is very much a like right from the jump. The movie is selling us on the Kang character, like yes. including both both uh, post credit scenes are Kang related. Well, yeah. and not to jump up too far ahead, but I, you know, you the at one of the post credit scenes, you see a bunch of different versions of Kang, and they're all Jonathan Majors, but. Whatever, like if the it's idea a, of Kang is there's a lot of different versions of him. Then you I can have think, someone else playing. I feel like you can recast right. it, like whatever. Like, what I thought was weirder was, we'll get to that part, but when all the versions of Kang show up, they're just screaming. <laughs> like they're just angry. They're <laughs> they just are like, so happy to be. They're like, like, ah, the one guy like, ah, and yeah, I thought yeah, yeah. that. Different, different universes so, have different expressions I guess so, of throughout, throughout the movie, Kang has been presented as this very calm, collected, subtle, elegant character. And then the end, when you see a whole collection of them, they're just yelling their heads off like Cackling. children. Well, know? that's why they exiled him. He was, yeah, he was a boring I, I guess so, yeah. They're like, you're no fun. Kang, you don't you're yell. bringing the Kang Council down. Could you? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a real quantum mood killer. Uh, so we're in San We want Francisco. a little more quantum mania in here. And you're quantum <laughs> subdued. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, Stuart mentioned it takes place in San Francisco. Paul Rudd is a famous Avenger now. Everybody loves him. He's gone from zero to hero. Uh, mm-hmm. And he uh, he is uh, Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp, Evangeline Lilly, runs the Pym Company very charitably. Uh, but Paul's teenage daughter Cassie 
She's always standing up for her beliefs in ways that get her thrown in jail or get in trouble with the authorities. She's a real civil disobedient person. And in this case, she's in, they have to bail her out of jail because she used pin particles to shrink a cop car down, uh, which is kind of, which is a funny moment when she just slams on the ground and it goes, or something like that. Um, there's a lot of father-daughter tension. And really it's because she's disappointed that her dad, Scott, Scott uh, Lang, the, the Ant-Man, that yeah, he yep. is— Yep. That he's resting on his laurels. He saved the universe, sure. But there's so much more he could be doing with his powers, and he's not helping people. I got to I gotta admit, this bothered me a fair amount. Because, like, great. Cassie, you know, she's out there actively doing stuff. Great. Great for Cassie. But, like, the fact that she's giving <laughs> Ant-Man such a hard time about the fact that he's, like, enjoying himself for a little while. Like, he did save the universe. He, did. Like, I mean, he was, like— is- Kind of the most important character in the MCU, like uh, in Endgame, like coming up with the whole idea that helps everything. Just like, just let him be for a while. Like, let the man relax. <laughs> I think there's a there's a certain thing I've I've thought about this a while uh, for a lot where it's like in if you if in in most people's life if you do one thing that's really heroic, that's amazing and you'll be celebrated for that forever. But with superheroes, they got to keep doing it over and over again. And I think about how like. If Captain America saves the world once, people are like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. And then the world's in trouble again. They're like, uh, Cap, are you going <laughs> to yeah, take care of this? Yeah, did we have a Captain America or something at one point? <laughs> like, isn't this your job? Like, chop, <laughs> chop, can you can you save the world again? Whereas in the real world, people are not called on to do that more than once, to do something heroic and amazing. Um but also, you know what? Kids are just looking for reasons to be disappointed in their parents. And this yeah. is what, what's great about this, Dan, is it creates the sort of character conflict that we can then solve with the story circle f- form of storytelling well, structure. The, uh, the Rick I mean, and Morty's thing, famous like, story circle structure. I want to make it clear, too. Like, I don't think that this – I don't think that this is a there's, – there's too many negatives in this. I think that this is a direction that could have worked. Uh-huh. But – the movie does not really put in enough uh, legwork to like, like uh, just seeing like Paul Rudd happily like going around town like reading from his biography and doing stuff. I'm not like this assholes doesn't care anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. If, if you want to have this character arc, he should that's walk fine, by an but- alleyway while. Some thugs are beating up a guy, and he's like, mm, <laughs> too busy. <Drugs>. Which Spider Man <laughs> did <laughs> once in the yeah. movies. Possibly the funniest thing that's ever been in a superhero movie yeah. <laughs> is when he just walks by those guys beating that yeah, person up. So, yeah. And the guy's like, help! <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the same thing happens in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, right? Where yeah. when they're on Counter-Earth, they just walk by people hurting each other and they're like, oof, animal people not getting involved. They have bigger involved. fishes to fry at that point. Dan, Dan, Spider-Man's funnier. Yeah, Spider-Man is funnier. At the, at the, so uh, it feels like more of, a, more of a deliberate choice, too, to not get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, this, it feels like a slim, it feels like a TV problem yes. for characters to have, it, unless you're going to, unless like you're saying the, the stakes are high, unless he's doing something that's really disappointing her or she is really involved in a specific thing or, I mean, the other way they could have gone is like, dad, I'm still mad that you missed my recital while you were saving the world, which is also yeah, a fake Yeah, but that would have conflict. made I'm me glad even they didn't more annoyed. Way. Like yeah. she makes one like catty remark about having to like take care of herself. And then she apologizes for almost immediately. Cause it's like, yeah, like he didn't want to be gone for five years. Yeah. Or, but, and yeah. she's, she's a character. Cassie's a character who in the first two movies was a child. And her main role was to serve as a thing that he is trying to keep in his life. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's a real Con Air situation. Yeah. But he tries to interact with her a little bit, but this is kind of like the first time we see this this character like fully fleshed out, set up to be the next Ant-Man in the MCU. When, or the character of oh. Stature, which was her code name in the comics. Uh, oh, okay. So the when she was a member of the Young Avengers, I, the uh, or it was the because she gets uh, really Avengers tall. Initiative. Like, what does yeah, because she gets really mean? tall. Yeah, oh, Avengers okay. Initiative, I think is what it was, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, now here's the here's the thing, a lot these characters, no one is really fully fleshed out very much in this movie. Like they don't spend a lot of time giving these characters real personality or at least like a distinctive thing about them. It feels I don't know if you felt this way, but it felt like everyone in the movie kind of had the same was dipping into the same kind of personality trough. You know, now, except for Kang, maybe. Uh, yeah. Michael Douglas has a different personality, the personality of a man who does not seem to want to be there, <laughs> well, but, but that, still has enough movie star charisma that, you know, he's enjoyable to watch. He's, but the, yeah, but all, of them, all of them take everything they're doing pretty lightly throughout it. They're all cracking wise. Like, they all tell the same kinds of jokes. The aliens they meet in the Quantumverse all tell the same kinds of jokes and yeah. talk the same way. And he, Michael Douglas, I did read a thing where he's like, he'd be interested in Hank Ben coming back in Ant-Man 4 if he dies in that movie. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he's fully at the point where he's like, kill my character. Like, I don't want to do any more of this. But uh, there's no, I f- it feels like the characters are not really playing off of each other much. And the way that they create conflict is that Cassie and her is disappointed in her dad, and Michelle Pfeiffer is continually not telling her family things yeah. that would help them in the moment, and it becomes so excruciatingly infuriating that she they're they're like, well, we're in the quantum zone and we're being attacked by no monsters. There's no time to tell. Uh, there's no Elliot, time to tell you how I, I know these monsters. I need to protect you somehow, even though we're already here, and knowing this stuff would probably be more. Good. Look, anyway. Also, even if she was, if More she good. told them, better is the other word yeah. for that. If she told them, as they eventually find out, you know what? There's a villain in the quantum zone, and we have to keep him trapped there. Then maybe Cassie would not build a portal to the quantum zone. Maybe that's something yeah. that that she would know not to do. But anyway, I guess what I'm saying is. Characters, they don't always have to do the rational or the right thing. Often characters are best when they don't do the rational right thing. But this is pretty irrational. It makes me doubt the intelligence of this character. Uh, so anyway, uh, Hank has apparently helped oh, – and uh, and uh, Hope's mom, Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, Michelle Pfeiffer, she's back from the quantum zone, but she doesn't want to talk about it. She never wants to talk about her experiences no. there. Uh, and at first it's treated like trauma, but then eventually becomes revealed it's more like – it's a it's a dark secret, you know, rather than trauma. She's, she's embarrassed. She helped a guy take over the quantum zone. Yeah. So Hank, he helped Cassie build a probe for the quantum realm so they can explore it. And uh, Janet gets very angry at the idea of sending a signal into the quantum zone. She demands they turn it off, but it's too late. It turns into a quantum portal and sucks them all in. That's right. This movie starts up with a machine accidentally going bonkers and sucking them in. <laughs> like it's an episode of DuckTales. Like, come on, everybody. I like that. And later we're given an explanation for this. The villains did it. But it is so sloppily, like, or just these characters are being so sloppy. They're being so, like, they, they're acting like a Scooby-Doo gang, I feel like, at this point. Where they're like, we got this machine. What's it going to do? I don't know. Turn it on. Like, is that Freedom Rock? Turn it up, you know. <laughs> Allow uh, me to turn it on before I explain how it works. <laughs> yeah. So they're all sucked in. Uh, now they're in, and they get split up. Uh, the Van Dynes slash Pims are one place, and Scott and Cassie are another. And they're in kind of a weird mushroom kingdom. And I was getting flashbacks to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime now, on the podcast. I do think that we should take a little time, now that we've been introduced to the Quantum Zone, to talk about the quantum zone. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, sure. The, I'm look, I want to offer this uh disclaimer. I'm going to say some You've never been to the quantum zone. <laughs> I'm going to say some unflattering things about the way the movie looks, but I do not think that that is the fault of the artists who worked on it. 
uh, I think the artists who work on it uh, are given unreasonable deadlines by Marvel from everything that I've read, that there's a house Marvel style that like dampens the uh, sort of brights and the darks and the colors well, in a way that I'm not wild about. Ironically, since the house Marvel style for decades pretty much was the Jack Kirby style, which is all mm-hmm. about bright colors, big, bold shapes, but above all, clarity, like clear, yeah. powerful images. And it feels like the Marvel movies are all about, yeah, kind of muddy colors and, and you know, dim lighting and things like well, that. Well, and know? if you look at past Jack Kirby, if you look at artists like Jim Lee, like artists yeah. that were the most like like repopularized comics. It was all about these very distinctive poses. Yes. Uh, like images that really burn into your head. Iconic I, images. Like Marvel was about, was the, the characters are, are are super strong and complicated, but a lot of it, you're right, was about like iconic imagery and iconic visual moments, you know? Yeah. And I will say that having seen this in the theater and then rewatched it for this podcast, uh, the, the, com- the computer effects, uh, of sort of this realm looks so much better actually on my home television than they did in the theater. Well, also you watched it in 4D, so there was water being sprayed in your face constantly. <laughs> well, I mean, I just think that I wonder that this like heavily digital fi- filmmaking, I mean, I know that we have digital projectors now, but like something about like having a high quality, like modern flat screen television with really black, black and whatnot, like this very digital look plays well in that environment, whereas... I do have a question, yeah. and you probably already did this. Uh, I don't want to be a jerk, but when you're at the theater, did you make sure to turn off the motion smoothing? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> you should have done that. You, you, thought, you thought Nicole Kidman was moving a little too fast when she said heartbreak feels good in a place like this. I told, I slipped the projectionist 20 bucks. I'm like, please look at, make it look more like a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, slid, you said smooth the shit out of that motion. <laughs> but I mean, like, there's like, look, the actual look of the Quantum Zone, I have no particular beef with. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff. In, I mean, like, they, they take, they just take the general idea of small. And so they've got these things that like look like amoeba or whatever when you're so much smaller than what that would be. But that's fine. I get it. It's cool for a, a Except silly. I would, I would say I, I would want them to go with that idea of small more because eventually yeah. like it just starts feeling like they're walking around Mos Eisley, you know, or Coruscant. Yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it stops, it, it feels like, and it's a- uh, well, that's the Kang influence, dude. He's got that, He's got his own boring house style. He loves he loves Star Wars. I mean, and uh, well, I think that's the thing is there's a just as the personalities of the characters are not particularly distinctive, the image like the world they're in doesn't feel particularly distinctive. It's yeah. not like yeah. I'm like even the fact like uh, you think about the Star Wars planets and it's like Endor feels distinctive to you, and it's just a fucking forest. You know, it's yeah. just woods, but yeah. it's so different from the other stuff you see in Star Wars, and it feels like you're in the woods, you know? And as a, and here I was like, if you asked me to imagine the quantum zone, I'd be like, it's real glowy. Like it's real glowy and kind of amorphous and there's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. aliens kind of walking around, but there's no, I don't, it, I don't have a sense of it, you know? It I don't looks have a, like yeah. a tech death album cover or something. Yeah. It doesn't have that distinctive iconic thing about it where I'm like, oh, that's what the quantum zone feels like to me. As opposed no. to um, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a modern movie that does it really well, but uh even like uh, you look at like every everything everywhere all at once, and like each of the different worlds she's in yeah. feels different from the other worlds that she's in, and I can I can picture those in my mind because maybe because there's something simple about each of them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe if like Tarsum had directed <laughs> the Quantum oh, Zone, if only I would. I, Tarsum has not been absorbed into the Marvel universe, and there's I, I'm not a huge fan normally of of directors that I that have a distinctive look or or feel to their movies being absorbed into IP, but I would love to see Tarsum do a 
do a Marvel movie. Yes. Oh man, that'd be amazing. The, but the biggest thing I wanted to say though is like this feels to me like the most expensive green screen movie ever made because there's something about the lighting on the characters versus the lighting in the background. It never quite matches. There's a scene where they're like flying, you know, like they're like riding a flying manta ray and they're all like moving like, whoa, like they're in the Star Trek bridge, but they're all like moving in different directions. Like it doesn't feel like they're interacting with <laughs> Well, it's because that manta ray's body's undulating underneath their feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is what Stuart puts in the incorrectly regarded as goof section on IMDb. If you look That's closely, what? the manta ray's body is undulating differently on different surface areas. Yeah. No, but I think, I think you're right. There's a... Like overall, it feels like a movie that that had to be done by a certain time, and so a lot of things are being done without that yeah. like that extra special moment of thought, which I know is hard to do when you're working on the third Ant Man movie, and it's got to be done by a certain time. It's a bigger scale and more effects than usually in those movies. You got more actors to, to juggle. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to set up, you're supposed to set up Kang, even though he's already been set up by a season of a television show. Like they, <laughs> like I, it felt it also felt weird being like they're kind of hiding Kang. And it's like, I don't know. Do you want me to watch all this shit or do you not want me to watch it? Because if, if you want me to watch it, I know who fucking Kang is. But if you don't want me to watch it, then don't make, don't, don't put out so much. I don't know. Elliot's don't don't act like I'm supposed to be happy about it. At the theater, arguing with the usher. He's like, this movie wants me to believe that I don't know who Kang is already. I know Kang. <laughs> I know Kang. I saw him in the show. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a so uh, back to the plot. Scott and Cassie yeah. get attacked by a glowing tentacle monster or amoeba or something, but they get saved by a bunch of sci-fi weirdos. And we're going to get to know these sci-fi mm-hmm. weirdos. They're mm-hmm. the rebels. Uh, and Janet, you got you got a laser face. You got a <laughs> no, no. I mean no, it is a character guy. with a laser for a face, but he's not laser face. <laughs> oh, okay. And I'm sure some of these are characters from the comics, but I did not recognize any mm. of them. You know, uh, and if you don't recognize is, any of them. Joe Sixpack, average it's, American, has I'm, no idea. <laughs> I'm starting to get the feeling I had when I got off a train when the Green Lantern movie came out. I got off a train in Grand Central Station, and I saw a poster that just had a picture of Abin Sur from the Green Lantern movie, and it just said Abin Sur underneath. And I'm like, if my mom gets off a train, is she supposed to look at that and be like, oh, cool, Abin Sur? I can't wait to see that movie. Like, No, they're what? introducing you to Abin Sur. They're like, hey, this guy, you see him? You see what he looks like? That's Abin Sur. And, here, and so, so and when so you encounter you, him later, you, you don't can confuse call him, him with name. Ganort or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah well, I mean, how could you confuse him with Ganort? He's hilarious. But uh, so the, uh, here's, it's, and just that, remind, that brings me back to one other thing I'm going to say uh, before I get back to the plot, which is that, so I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which I enjoyed a lot. There are things that I didn't, love about it, but I enjoyed it a lot. And it just reminded me like, oh, that was a movie that was introducing new characters for most people. Most people were not familiar with those characters, but they all had like distinct personality quirks. I mean, over time, their voices have gotten a little similar, which happens to all characters who share stories together. But like, that's what I'm missing from some of these, from some of these movies. Yeah. Like distinct character voices. Well. And distinct looks. Also, this reminds me, I'm glad you brought up Guardians 3 because I wanted to say like, to me, like, those are the poles maybe of this uh, latest phase, like with quantum mania at the, towards the bottom and, and guardians three at the top. And like, think about guardians of the galaxy volume three, like sure. There's kind of a little bit of uh, a cosmic repercussion for like stuff that's going on. But the main like through line that you are following is this character that we know and love is in danger and it is a personal issue <laughs> like that they have to save him, you know, and you're talking and about Adam Warlock. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, that better be who you're talking about. I mean, I, I no, will admit, like, Dan, like, uh, no, I think the, you're right. There is a, there's a the personal there's stake like, to it, yeah. Yeah, I felt so much more engagement is what I'm saying about, like, what's happening and emotionally like, caring about them, like, getting through their mission than this movie where I'm just like, I don't, I mean, to be fair, honestly, this movie makes a joke at the end. One of my favorite parts about, like, was this a good thing that we did? But we'll get there. Yeah. Well, but also, uh, it's it's not totally clear I mean, I guess their goal is to go home, but they, they yeah. even that doesn't seem like they're that worried about it. But I will admit, with Guardians, I was glad that every now and then they'd be like, remember, we got to do this for Rocket, because I'd be like, oh, yeah, that right, that's why you're doing this. I kind of forgot with all the hubbub, like, what the what the through line of the movie is. But it was Well, there. yeah, it is interesting that, like, in the first two Ant-Man movies, the worst thing that could happen is you could go to the quantum realm because there's no coming back from that. And then in this one, they're like, ah, we're here. Let's fuck around for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There's never a sense of like, oh no, we're trapped here. We're here yeah. forever because they got Michelle Pfeiffer out. So I guess they know it's a it's not a one way trip. But at the same time, there's yeah. no the level of danger feels inc- incredibly minimal. You know. Now, what about the level of danger fields? Also Ooh. incredibly minimal. Everyone <laughs> in the movie gets respect. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, anyway, Modok. <laughs> Modok gets no respect. He gets no respect, and we'll talk about that. My issues oh, with, man. The, with the portrayal of Modok. If, if they had reca- if they had cast Modok in the eighties, Rodney Dangerfield would have been a good <laughs> Modok. Oh, he would have been an amazing Modok. Oh, <laughs> that would have been great. Or or um uh uh oh, what's his name of uh, of uh, Lenny and Squiggy fame. Uh, not Michael McKeon. Uh, the other. I one. have no idea. <laughs> oh. well, you, the, the listeners know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the uh, basic. So uh, Janet is like, they're like, Janet, what's going on? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like, well, we're in the quantum realm. Can you like explain some stuff? But she refuses to, and she just tells them that it's a whole universe of worlds within worlds, which is the least yeah. helpful thing she could say. Doesn't really seem to be true. Uh, no. It's just also. And, I mean, they have nothing but time to tell the story now. Time. They're like walking a lot. Like they they have to like walk huge long paths and you know deal with the natives and do, like they've got a bunch of like she can tell the story of what happened. Yeah. I don't know why she puts it off so long. You know who also would have made a great uh, Modoc is Gilbert Gottfried. He would have been a fantastic. Yeah. Oh man. Movie. Great. Oh yeah. So the uh, so and meanwhile Scott and Cassie end up at this. Uh, the the alien weirdos take them to this village and they make them drink this this translation ooze, which allows them to understand <laughs> everybody. And uh, the Van Dynes run into like some Tuscan Raider types. And uh, Janet goes through a knife fighting ritual with one of them, and it turns out they're friends of hers. And uh, they give them a flying manta ray to ride. Uh, yeah. And the aliens are like goofy aliens. They meet, one of them is Quaz, a telepath who's played by, it's Cheaty from The Good Place, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and uh, it's one of those, It's and like Scott, and he's a telepath and he keeps hearing Scott saying embarrassing things yeah, in his mind. It's, you know, it's, and, I, it's a very, like, one one joke. This telepathic character is only used for, for a comic <clears throat> relief the whole movie and is... <laughs> And is it's the same joke over and over again. You scoffed you know? at the seven holes thing or whatever the the holes thing, but I I or like how many holes do you have in your body? But I do like then that like Cheedy. I'm sorry. I, I I would love to talk call him by his real name, but no, I, just his character name. Remember the character. Uh, he shows up and is like he has seven holes, and I like. You know, Paul Rudd, William like, Jackson Harper. William Jackson That's Harper. right. He was a three like, name name. I can only remember like, two names at a time. Paul Red has this like look at his face. Where he's like checking the math. <laughs> he's like, that's right. I, I think that's pretty solid as a joke. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, There's, it is. I just it's one of those things where like then if a, if that alien character went on to do anything other than talk about holes, yes, it's just every character. It's like an SNL sketch. Every well, character also, has one game that they play forever. I 
didn't like there's like this sort of barbarian woman character which That's feels Gentora. Like, Gentora who feels like a joke on the idea of like what people like executives think a strong female character is where it's just like well let's literally just make her the strongest and then give her nothing else yeah i feel like no in the recent dungeons and dragons movie like michelle rodriguez plays a version of that character and it's good because like she has a full character and yeah. personality and here it's just like i don't know she's strong but I mean, nobody gets that much personality in the movie. Yeah. But I agree; it's 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 yeah. doubly annoying for that reason. Uh, and and she's like, uh, and she's like, oh, you come from the same world as the conqueror. He'll do anything to find you. I don't know why she would jump to that conclusion. The Kang, I don't think, has ever shown any interest <laughs> otherwise. And also, like, no, and they they go through so many circumlocutions throughout the movie to avoid saying Kang until like the last minute when they have to. It's always he or him or the Conqueror, and it's something that they do in comic books a lot too. But it's always bugged me where it's like, you will know when the time is right. Well, tell me now. Like, it's it can't hurt me to have information Elliot, right now. One of these know? days, one of these days though, it's going to be Doctor Doom, and you're going to be so excited. I would, like he's except, gonna turn around and be like, huh? No, except they're gonna, except they're gonna like, they're gonna tease it so much. I mean, that was the exciting no, thing about Thanos was there was almost no teasing. It was just master. They court death, and you knew it was Thanos because he's in love with death, even though they didn't go with that in the character eventually. And then he turns around. And I was like Thanos, but at this point, also no Marvel character I think appearing in a movie would surprise me as much as Thanos did in that moment, where yeah. I was like, this is a character I never expected to see in a movie because he has no mainstream public knowledge at that point. But now every <laughs> not, Marvel character is that when the Eros John Star Krasinski Fox is showing has Reed Richards. Yeah, when John, when when you have when when uh, it's just taken for granted that the audience is gonna gonna be uh, gonna love hearing the X Men theme song from the '90s as Patrick Stewart rolls out in a yellow hover chair. Then there's Ugh. nothing. There's nothing I can't accept. More the dead teenager is going to show up at some point. You know, like Night Nurse is going to show up, or maybe she has already, probably. Uh, yeah, that sounds you know. right. The, and, like, and it, it stops, at a certain point, it stops being, can you believe we're getting all these characters into these movies? And it becomes more IP. Scrape the bottom of the barrel. Get more IP. Where's the slapstick movie? Where's the movie about, uh, where's the Great, great Lakes Pack Avengers. Movie? Yeah, where's the great, I mean, I would love to write a Great Lakes Avengers movie. I've written them in the comics, uh, but- the but yeah, there's no there's no character that isn't IPable. So anyway, Kurt Vonnegut uh, slapstick. So uh, what? I said Kurt Vonnegut slapstick. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> slapstick starring the Marvel characters. <laughs> um, so the so the the Pims they end up uh, in a Coruscant, Mos Eisley looking place full of aliens. Mm -hmm. And Can Janet, I, I, I yes. sorry, I just like this this sequence so clearly wants to be the cantina sequence of yes, they literally go to a this. bar. Yeah. movie and I know that it's impossible for anything to have that impact again really but I was thinking about Star Wars and you know like that is like it takes so long to see any aliens in Star Wars really and when we see a new one we spend time with it. like we like the Jawas show up and then we spend a little time with the Jawas and then like you know the we Tuscan see Raiders. the Tusken Raiders yeah. and then all of a sudden like halfway through the movie it's like yeah, and here's an explosion of aliens, you know, yeah. and there's enough like, but like, I'm not amazed by this cantina scene if we have already been through so much like goop and glop. But I feel uh, like you're yeah, right. It's it's the movie keeps there are a lot of scenes where it just shows a bunch of aliens, and that the impact is is dulled us having seen so many. But yeah. also like, we saw this in a famous movie, Star Wars, and then Star <laughs> Wars did it a couple more times in the sequels, and it's like. Just come up with yeah. a new place for them to meet. Like maybe don't have them meet at a bar. Maybe have I them meet know. somewhere different. I don't know. I think bars different. are pretty cool, yeah, guys. Bar Stuart bars are point. cool. Or even, but even like, 
like, uh, especially since I think it's supposed to be kind of a clandestine meeting that they're going to. Like, I know there yeah. was a pod racing in Star Wars, but like, show them going to an athletic game or something like that. Like, show them going to. I would love to see them going to an alien opera or something like that. Like, so, and mm. and they they're like they can make jokes about that, how inexplicable it is. And halfway through the opera, the characters are vomiting on each other or something, and another alien is crying because it's so sad. Or they something. could learn about some kind of fifth element. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it was an alien it's opera. That was love. one alien singer. Yeah. <laughs> With an amazing range, Freddie Mercury, yeah. eat your heart out. This mm-hmm. this lady's King range Diamond, is down Get out of here. <laughs> You've been deposed. <laughs> Mike Patton, pack it up, buddy. Rob Halford, there's a new Judas Priest in town. Uh, <laughs> sure. So the uh, uh, the anyway, but who shows up? But an old friend of Janet's, an old lover, as it's hinted, and uh-huh. it's played by. Bill Murray. Hey, guys, Murray. remember when you were excited by Bill Murray showing up in movies when you didn't expect it? How many years ago was that? Zombieland? Was that the last time? <laughs> well, also, like, it's hard to not expect it when it's in the trailer. Again, we talked about this recently on the show. Not the it, film's when we fault, went to but teaser if it's in the gonna, trailer, yeah. If you're going to make it a fun surprise, make it a fun surprise. You know, don't give it away in the actual trailer. I would say it is a, I would say, I mean, and Bill Murray's performance in this, I actually like a lot. I think he does a lot with not very little, but he does a lot with very little. But the, but like, if you really want it to be a fun surprise, find somebody who's not Bill Murray to do it with. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, I've seen him show up in cameos in so many movies. I'm kind of done with him. I'm bored with him. Like Mm -hmm. find someone that, find someone, when he showed up in like Zombieland, I remember it was genuinely like, oh, we haven't seen Bill Murray in things in a long time. It's a funny idea that he would be showing up in this world and especially that he has a mansion with his initials on the gates (laughs) and stuff like that. And he's he's been pretending to be a zombie for for years (laughs) in, in order to get by. Like, Find someone that – instead of just repeating the same person, find someone else who would create a similar effect in us now. And I don't know who that yeah. – I mean outside of like – and this is a little too similar because he's also from Ghostbusters. But like if Rick Moranis had shown up in this part, I would have been like, you got Rick Moranis in your yeah. movie? Like that's amazing. Like get someone who – the same way that when Bill Murray showed up in Rushmore, it was like, you got Bill Murray in this little movie? Like that's – you know, it's yeah. – Yeah, man. And I, honestly – I'm just now. So I'm so so excited about this Rick Moranis idea because if he was like playing it the same character, like yes. we've seen Bill Murray be like sort of the loose, like uh, confident in his own the kind of lounge lizard appeal. type appeal. Yeah. yeah, like guy. I mean, like Rick Moranis. We haven't seen him do that since like SCTV. You know, yeah. like he's and been he, a nerd. He's known for shrinking his own children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is that's, known for that's that. True. And, and but also, <laughs> so honey, also once he blew up a baby, and once he shrunk ourselves. Yeah, it's but true. But what if he, he shrunk both. himself so small that he entered the quantum realm? I mean, mm-hmm. I would love it if it turned out he was the same character from the Honey We Shrunk the Kids. Honey Shrunk the Kids movies. I, when I was when I was telling they my call wife them about Zelinsky. I, I was telling my wife, and I was like, uh, I was like, oh yeah, they turn on a device and it accidentally sucks them in. She goes, "Is this Honey I Shrunk the Kids?" Like, <laughs> and so uh, it turns. Uh, so uh, he's like an old freedom fighter buddy, but now he's thrown in with the bad guy who we still don't know the name of. His name is Krylar, and it turns out it's a trap. He's It's a setup. And the and Jentor, the warrior lady, she talks to Cassie and Scott about how the Kang, the conqueror, they still don't name him, destroyed yeah. their homes. And Cassie's like, we got to help. And, and Ant-Man's like, this isn't our fight. Let's just get out of here. And it turns, they mention Janet and they go, Janet Van Dyne, they've heard of her. Anyway, Krylar is like, a lot of people died because of you, Janet. And that's when Kang's troops show up. And then, uh, the uh, and then uh, are they really like, cool or anything? Do they look they cool? are not. They're not okay. cool. They, they for a movie that otherwise is full of weirdo aliens. They're just like 
guys in armor with like bubble glowing bubble helmets. Like there are a lot of Mysterios and they're (laughs) not particularly tough. They're not particularly Mysterio, one of the coolest character designs of all time though. It's an amazing impractical character design. He has a huge fishbowl on his head. He wears green checked pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) He has like eyes on his cape clasp. The biggest cape a man could wear. His gloves have these weird kind of like sharp curlicues coming off the off the ends of them. Oh, Man, what just, a character. You can't, walking around in that costume must be, must, must be <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable and hard to do. Uh, okay, so uh, they show up, and also, but they've also sent the ultimate weapon. He has sent the ultimate weapon. He, he threw him at him, and I'm like, you cannot have two characters that you're referring to only by their pronouns and not naming them uh, because they're talking about Kang and also MODOK. That's right, MODOK oh. showed up, showing up. And the heroes fight Kang's troops and, and some aliens, and then they run off in Krylar's organic ship and, and – uh, Michael Douglas has to stick his hands in some goop to make it fly and so uh-huh. forth. Uh, and so, uh, oh, that, and so the alien refugee village gets attacked by Kang's troops, lasers, aliens, there's electro lassos. Uh, Cassie runs in, she's got her own Ant-Man suit and uh, Scott tra- saves her and tries to teach her his t- his trip trick where, you, there, where you, there, you suddenly get very big and punch someone in the chin. And they're Ant-Man suits. This is all digital at this point, right? They don't actually yes. have, yeah. I, don't I feel think like there's in the first movie suits. or two, they had like actual physical helmets that they put on their heads. I mean, they yeah. might sometimes. They might occasionally, but it's mostly all digital. Yeah. Now, and, uh, I yeah, well, we're about to talk about Modoc, so this better be important, Dan. Well, uh, <laughs> you've put too much weight on it. It's yeah, not important true. at all because I just like continue to have trouble with the premise of Ant Man and his powers because like part of it is like I guess. You're, you have the same proportional strength when you're ant-sized. So what is the virtue of suddenly popping huge before punching? Surprise, uh, Dan. It's called surprise. They can't yeah. stop from getting yeah. punched in the face. Yeah, but you don't. You can surprise them by being an ant-sized man who is punching them. Like, I don't— But yeah, how are you going to get up to their chin? You can't jump that high. You don't have proportional jumping powers. Oh, oh I see. Oh, yeah. What? So you're doing—you're like— you're, he's not. He's not Flea Man. Flea yeah, Man plays you. bass for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> okay, yep. so you gotta become big just um, so you can jump enough to then pop into small and then punch. Yes, that's the I'm, strategy. Something like that. I don't know if your description is exactly okay, accurate. Well, but we're I on mean, the same page. I think. We'll also look. I mean, so special okay, move well, list on the. Yeah, let's uh, check the combos. That in let's just say, to any, Civil War, Ant Man is like juggling a, a plane around when he's still supposed to have goddamn proportional strength. I don't understand no, it. So gets, you're saying when, when he gets super big, he would only have normal human he would have strength? No, if anything, he would be weaker because the molecules in his body are further away. Dan, well, okay, oh, Dan, yeah. let's, well, let's say one thing. Because of the squared cube law, if he got bigger, his body would be unable to support himself and he would collapse and die instantly. Yeah. That, so let's not worry, or his legs that would break. That wouldn't make for a very just, good movie. It would not make for a good movie. Uh, so let's just get science out of the way in that one. Physics would, if he turned big, his knees are exploding and he is falling to the ground. No, so let's at least, take that away. I, I at least also, he can make himself bigger without having to get like calf extension surgery. Have you seen these guys that get this on the yeah. internet? And, and where is it? How do I do that? <laughs> I don't think you'd like it because Dan, do you really yeah. want to be taller but with little short arms? Do you want to be a human tyrannosaurus? <laughs> yeah, I do want to be a human tyrannosaurus. Actually, that's my, that's that my dream. Sense. Yeah, of course. To make the it clear, I don't mind about I don't mind any of this. I just think it's funny to think about. No, Dan, so let but let's let's get the science straight. Okay, so according okay. to you, when he gets really big, he should be super weak like a giant kitten. When he's <laughs> yeah. and but when he's because he has proportional human strength at all times. Okay, yeah. now let's look at him. The guy's had a hard time. He's an ex-con, hard to get a uh-huh. job. 
Mm-hmm. His daughter yeah. is not happy with him. Now you're going to bring physics to bear against him. Oh, physics, yeah. <laughs> See, the most implacable obstacle of all. I thought Dan, you were going— Dan, we'd be able to travel through time and pat- faster than the speed of light if it wasn't for physics. Physics is the ultimate buzzkill. That's hey, Dan, true. you ever wish you could fly? Too bad you can't. Physics says you can't. Physics <laughs> is a big jerk. So, you know, I'm going to say—I'm going to take a proud anti-physics stand. I think I stand—I speak for the Flophouse when I say physics— mm-hmm. Get out of here. We don't need you. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> and this is not a Harry and the Hendersons. I'm telling you we don't want you because we love you and we're yeah. trying to save you type of thing. This is sincere. This is honest. Physics, yeah. you're burnt. A this is what you say until we start floating up into the air because— <laughs> A stirring and, rebuttal from Elliot. doesn't work Elliot, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, though. Like, when you're, like, talking about how—what a bad life <laughs> you're going to be like. So that's why the Avengers all got together, and they constructed this balsa wood plane <laughs> so he could fight it. <laughs> so he could make, they were like, look, Ant-Man's had a hard time. I know we're all fighting the superhero civil war, but can we do a solid for Ant-Man and just yeah. make a fake plane so he thinks, so he thinks he's strong? He just, he just needs they, a little more confidence. <laughs> you know what? Let's make the plane a cake. He'll pick it up. Yeah. And he'll be like, I'm so strong. And then he'll yeah. see its delicious cake, and like, he'll be excited. And then Endgame when he punches that giant floating space lizard. That thing was fake too. And he <laughs> yeah. wasn't really yeah. punching. He was just falling. <laughs> yeah, Thanos is in on it. Thanos is like, I want to destroy the half of the universe. But Ant-Man, we got we got to keep this ruse up because I would hate to see him cry. Oh, yeah, it would has- make my Titan's heart break. <laughs> Thanos has a sense of fair play. Yeah, that's true. He's yeah, all that's about right. balance. And he thinks Scott Lang deserves a little balance in his life. He's had yeah. so much bad stuff in his life. Time to balance it with some good stuff. So Thanos is using the Infinity Gauntlet to like make a lottery scratcher that, 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 that is guaranteed to win if Scott, not to win too much. You can't overbalance. Yeah, yeah, he's not, yeah. can't, he can't retire, but he'd win like $5,000, uh, you know? And when somebody shows up at the lunch order, they're like, and it looks like somebody ordered a black and white cookie, half black, <laughs> half white, up, uh, Thanos. Yeah, Thanos, it's of even, course, it's yeah. balanced. It's yeah. the most balanced dessert. Yeah, we're aware. We're aware you feel that way. It's the, the same. cereal is part of this balanced breakfast. <laughs> Thanos, you can only say that because you're having a grapefruit with it and some <laughs> lean it's, protein. It's, I, okay. You'll never guess what my favorite gymnastics routine, the balance beam, Thanos. We know it's the balance beam. We know it is. Yeah, it's your favorite scene from Final Destination is the one with the balance beam. Now to put on my sneakers, you'll never guess what brand name, New Balance. We know it's New Balance, Thanos. You wear New Balance sneakers. We know it. Mm, you know what my favorite, my favorite choreographer, Balanchine, because it sounds kind of <laughs> like balance, mm, and yeah. ballet dancers have to keep their balance pretty well. Uh, no, okay, he's got a good point. Yeah. You're stretching, Thanos. You're stretching. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <sighs> okay, what happened? So, anyways, this is a, so so Modok attacks. Let's talk about Modok. I feel like I ran out of juice though. So, uh, so uh, Modok. He's a he's in the comics. You know him. He's a big giant head who floats around with little arms and legs. He's got mental powers. He's the mental organism designed only for killing. They changed that here. I think to what mm-hmm. mechanical organism or something like that or mobile I think organism so, yeah. designed only for killing. And there's a big reveal that Modok knows them. It's actually their old their old arch foe Darren uh, mm-hmm. from Corey Stahl. Yeah, Corey Stahl, Yellow Jacket from, from Ant Man. Yeah. Was he in Ant Man too? No. No. And he was in the quantum realm. As far realm, as we dog. knew, he had died in the first. Yes, Batman. but instead he got sucked into the quantum zone, and Kang turned him into Modok. And I have to say, I am not a huge fan of the way they have shoehorned Modok into this mythos. Okay, well, because I was going to ask Elliot. I, here's the thing: for me, a man who has no particular history with Modok, other than uh-huh. I could, you know, I could 
you know, if you showed me a picture of Modoc, I could say that's Modoc. Yeah. You could pick him out on a lineup, a lineup of giant heads. You could pick him out. It was like you could also Easter pick Island, Modoc. You could pick up Mo- pick out Modoc. Yeah. You could also pick him out of the lineup in Marvel vs. Capcom Three, the video game, because he's one of the playable characters. That's true. But that's, who else? Uh, who else would be on that big head lineup? Like Bonk from from uh, the, <laughs> from the video games, and uh, who yeah, else? Sam the Eagle. Uh, it's not that Sam big. the Johnny Eagle. Johnny Miller. His, his head is maybe like <laughs> small for a Muppet's head. Maybe maybe like the Boss Baby would be. On there, boss uh, baby, definitely, yeah, yeah. mega mind. So, Dan, uh, you don't, you don't have is, a- as a man with no particular, like I, like I'm, I have affection for Modok in the sense that, like, as the sort of person I am, the idea of a floating head in a mechanical body that killed people is cool. But, mm-hmm. uh, but he's got low arms I've and got, legs. He's got, so, he's, it's not so much that he has a huge head with mechanical arms. Those are his arms and legs, but his okay. head is just so enormous that it's become his, most of his body. Yeah. Right, right. But, okay. Because if you mess is, with the head, you're dead. For, for <laughs> me, that person, this was a fun use of a, a previous I character I was not going to expect. I think um, that's totally, and, and you know what? There's something to be said for tying up a loose end and not introducing yet another human who has fallen through the quantum zone. I think yeah. my, my preferred version of this would be to have a different character than Modok, but that's me. I'm being a comics snob, I guess. To me, Modok is a Captain America bad guy. He's created by advanced idea mechanics. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I like about Modok is in his original origin, he is like the janitor. He's someone of lower intelligence that they use as a test subject, and it makes him so powerful that he takes over the whole place. And I love the turnabout nice. of the guy that they used as a guinea pig becoming their boss. Um, but and of course, let's not. We don't have to get into Modam, the female version of Modok, who showed up many years later. But uh, there was something about it. Just does, it felt. Does she wait? Does she have like a little pink bow? <laughs> like no, Ms. she does Pac-Man. have lipstick though. She does wear lipstick, but she does okay. not wear a bow. Uh, and she uses an enormous lipstick the size of a howitzer shell uh, that she that she waves. I guess has someone else apply to, to her Google because her, her little arms. Uh, the put I XXX think, behind it when you do search <laughs> Modam feet uh, and. I think the uh, more was just like a, a thing that they've done a lot with the Marvel movies, which you know is fine, but that where they take a character that I think there's more opportunity with, and they kind of use them as a joke character. Mm-hmm. And part of it is also that like I didn't, I just didn't love the way that the head stretching effect looked. <laughs> it just looked so silly to me, you know. Which is okay if it's a comedy character, I guess. Yeah, I kind of like, I kinda I like this is, one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, she's. Yeah, she's got something. Uh, I think that there's. Oh, don't even yeah. try. You're not ready for her. She'll destroy you. Not, you, you can't <laughs> handle it. I think it is a comedy effect, and thus I don't mind it. Like uh-huh. it is supposed. He's to a look comedy janky. character. It is. Yeah. It looked so much like it was just his head on a screen, rather yeah. than like a rather than a three dimensional giant face. It was kind of like when I went to see the uh, Jean Paul Gaultier exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum, and they displayed all the clothes on mannequins that had blank faces, and then they projected video footage of models' faces onto those the, that blank canvas. That's yeah. kind of what it looked like. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it's like a haunted mansion type thing where you're where you're projecting a face on a head. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. Um, and Modoc, uh, he explains how he became Modoc. And that Kang found him and turned him into Modok, and now he's the ultimate weapon. But he's just still kind of a joke. Nobody takes him seriously. Uh, and it turns out he's the one who pulled them in. He got Cassie's signal and pulled them into the Quantiverse. How he turned a like a probe that emits a signal into like a portal that sucks things in, science, it's comic science. You Elliot, don't have to worry about a, it. Who cares? He's a floating head with two little legs that shoots mm-hmm. stuff. Like, it's okay. okay. That has like a, a laser buzz saw that comes out yeah, of him. It's uh, okay. 
And anyway, and meanwhile, Janet still will not tell her family who the fucking villain of the movie is. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of that, <laughs> speaking of that, let me check the clock. Still haven't he hasn't even shown up yet. No, and it's and so, an hour into this podcast. Okay, and so and so and an hour into the movie or more, and so now we finally get the flashback. She talks about meeting Kang. He was stranded in the multiverse. They became roommates and best buddies, and they fix his his time ship uh, that can travel through the multiverse. And uh, when the ship is fixed. Because it runs on mental energy, when she touches it, she sees his past psychically, which yeah. again, mm-hmm. comic book science, who cares? It's fine. Uh, don't worry about it. And she learns that Kang was a conqueror and that he was deliberately exiled to the quantum verse, although she doesn't know by who or why. And so instead of letting him take the ship home, she destroys the energy core with her pin particles by making it enormous, trapping them both in the quantum realm. Why she never thought of using those particles to make herself super big and maybe get out of the quantum zone that way? I don't know. It just it never yeah, seems to occur know. to anybody. Uh, and Kang, but now Kang has his suit again. I guess while they were building his ship, he also gave himself a new suit, a set of armor. He found it in the closet. He couldn't get it before. And uh-huh. now and he's it, got lo- a- it looks like Kang's suit from the the comics. Oh, kinda. for sure. I mean, it looks the, the suit there. I thought the design they worked with with this looks great. It looks really good. It looks like the comics. He still has that kind of purple clown face that I that mm-hmm. I think is both. Chilling and like, also like a Harlequin Chester, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, it's I one, find of those, the, one of those times where you're like Jack Kirby. I don't know what you were thinking with this, this design, but I'm all over it. Yeah, I want to say I, I I found the performance of Kang to be more intriguing and sort of like, even though we don't know, you know, we don't know in quotes, he's bad at that point, quietly menacing when he was playing nice and thoughtful. Then later on, when he just becomes kind of a guy who like walks around saying hushed whispers of dramatic things. Yeah, it feels like th- there's a lot. It feels like he's building to be more of a real character than he is, yeah. and I, and, it, and it becomes kind of one note after a while. I felt that way too. That when when he was playing a mental game, it was interesting to me. But then when he, he's just a guy who walks around going, "Tell me again, how many Avengers have I killed?" I I still kind of liked it. I don't know. I, uh, I just got bored of it after a while. I thought I, I liked, liked him it so- more than when he was in Loki. Uh-huh. I felt like he was there was something off about it. Mm. That he was a little bit more manic in Loki. Like he's jumping on desks and things like that. Yeah. I, I missed a little bit of that because here his his two modes are either hushed quiet or just screaming while he shoots lasers at people. Yeah. And there's kind of nothing in between. But uh, anyway, Kang, he takes over the quantum verse. Janet fought him until she got rescued and brought home. And uh now the Van Dynes, they vow to save the others but keep Kang trapped in the Quantiverse because he's a danger to the multiverse. Uh, and Kang introduced himself to Ant-Man and Cassie, and he's like, Ant-Man, go get the energy core for me because an army of Kangs is coming. I don't actually – I don't know if he says who's coming, but he says something bad is coming and you need me for that. And Scott's like, no. So Kang threatens Cassie, and uh, so Scott, to save his daughter, he jumps into the, uh, the uh, core holder that big thing that got big to get mm-hmm. the core for yeah. Kang. He's got to yep. get the Kang core. They're like, if you want to save Cassie, get the Kang core. And he's like, core, mm-hmm. core Kang? No, the Kang core for Kang. The core Kang for core. Yeah. You're core the Kang core Kang. keeper. And why didn't you? <laughs> you're, you're now, you're, you're now the Kang core catcher keeper. <laughs> now, Kang's like a super genius, right? And he's yes. like an inventor and everything. Like Wild E. Coyote. Yeah, why didn't, yeah, yeah, super why didn't genius, he just, yeah. why didn't he just fix this shit himself? Because, Stuart, then it wouldn't have a reason for it to be an Ant-Man movie, would it? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because this villain sense. and this hero do not really match each other because one, as we've said, is a low-stakes, shrinks or gets bigger, small-scale guy, and the other is a 
time-traveling conqueror with godlike technology. And otherwise, there's no reason for them to even know that they exist, each other. Yeah. It annoyed me so much when he goes, he's like, which Avenger are you? Uh, I forget you all mixed up because I've killed you so many times. Are you the one with the hammer? And then later calls him Ant-Man. And it's like, dude, were you just pretending that you didn't recognize him? That yeah, is not cool. I mean, he was that trying is, to, yeah, he was fucking with him. That is not, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a dorky move to be, oh, which one are you again? The one, are you the one with the shield? You can tell I'm a shrinking guy. You know who I am. You're a genius, right? Anyway, uh, so he jumps in. Uh-oh. He starts splitting into a million people. It turns out he's in a probability storm. Here's a cool idea they don't do too much with. It's a Rick and Morty bit. <laughs> he splits up into a million different Ant-Men and one Scott Lang who is dressed as if he still worked at the ice cream store that he got fired from. And it's like, to me, there was an episode of Duckman years ago where he breaks the time-space continuum and he's every move he makes, uh, I'll be watching him because it was a great show, but every move he makes, he's being confronted by the possible result of that. Like he goes into one room and he finds out he's going to be eaten by a lion. So he mo- eventually, so he goes into another room and he finds out something bad there. And I felt like that episode did such a better job of like showing multiple variations of a person's future than this one where there, it's like in every universe you are Ant-Man except for one where you work at the ice cream place. And that's <laughs> it. In the infinite variations of the multiverse. The same way that in Doctor Strange, they're like, in the multiverse, there are infinite variations. Like in this world, red means go and green means stop. Ooh, devilishly different. That's, yeah. That would fuck you up. Though. Well, I also- <laughs> It would. You'd get used to it eventually. <laughs> look, I far be it for me to be like a cinema sense science cop. Uh, but also the problem I had with this, and again, I realize it's mostly just here to provide a cool visual. Yeah, and yeah it, it looks cool to have neat. lots of Ant-Men. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if each of them represents what a possible Scott, then I don't understand how they're all able to work together. Like, if they're all just like possible futures, I don't understand how they all work together to raise him up. Like, because, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Well, I know. I mean, they all become. They're all possible physical beings, I guess, you know, in this probability storm. I but, guess uh, that's they, true. But that's true. They all, they because to, in order to save Cassie, they help the, the true Scott, Scott Prime, to get up to the core. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Janet, Hope arrives and uh, and saves him when he's about to fall. The Kang core? <laughs> the can, when he, yeah, when he, when he grabs the Kang core. I have a bunch of Kang core sores. Yeah, Kang core sores. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he grabs the Kang core. Get it checked and, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're very painful. And do mm-hmm. not, look, just don't get salt in it, okay? Very painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Janet starts briefly turning into alternate Janets, and then I guess through the power of sheer will, she just doesn't allow that to happen. Um, and they take it back to Kang, and Kang takes it, and it beats up everybody, and he decides to take Janet with him. And that's when Modok attack, attacks Hank, because there has to be, every character has to fight every other character in different uh-huh. combinations. And... Uh, Kang explains the origin to Janet that we already know if we watch the Loki show. It's like, again, there's a, he, there are all these Kangs, and when they travel, they create multiple universes, and they fight each other, and it makes a big civil war throughout space and time. And so he's trying to avoid that. And uh, Scott and Hope wake up to find that Hank has a bunch of ant farm ants that mm-hmm. – were they sucked in at the beginning of the movie? They were or was that another in. time? No, they were sucked in with we, – we saw them yeah, as part had, of the – Yeah, he had an ant farm. Initial okay. accident. And the ants have had all this time in the quantum verse, and they've developed super technology. They've evolved amazingly. Yeah. Uh, and am I going to say this is a ripoff of the book City by Clifford Simak? Yes, it very much is. Because in that one also, ants develop into a super advanced technological civilization. Uh, yeah, but although, do, they, do they wrestle and eat up uh, on uh, Kang? No, they, they don't. Mm-hmm. Instead, their entire culture is about commemorating and getting revenge for the time that a man kicked over their anthill. <laughs> <laughs> 
and so and it's it's what le- what causes the dogs of the world uh, to leave and and find their own new world because it's being overrun by ants. Anyway, uh, Cassie frees the warrior woman whose name I've already forgotten from jail, and they team up. And Kang starts addressing his troops via hologram, but Cassie interrupts the feed and gives a rousing rebellion speech, which rouses all the alien weirdos to start fighting. And it, you, we see that in the limitless quantum verse, there's like. 60 people like there's like 60 mm-hmm. dudes and then there's like yeah. uh, like 200 troops like it's not it's a small small scale world no no pun intended uh and uh, modok <laughs> shows up and he's fighting and he's about to kill cassie when scott arrives as very giant man and calls mm-hmm. out kang and kang sends a fleet of little spaceships after him and then the rebel forces well, come like, in battle, battle 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 Giant man in the quantum realm still pretty small, still right? microscopic yeah. man. Yeah, it's okay. all relative. Well, you know, yeah, that's the thing. Wait, man. so Dan, so Dan, but he's you're still the, strong. <laughs> and Dan, you're the arbiter of this. Yeah, what level of strength does he have at this point? Because he's giant for them, but he's still microscopic oh, for us. And you, you're, know, you, and you've appointed yourself judge, jury, and size executioner. Yeah, I would say so. he's extra strong because he's just so compact, man. At this point, those particles <laughs> are tight. Yeah, he is tight. He really he just tight poured, particles. poured into that little costume. Yeah. Uh, and and one one of the aliens literally yells "Revolution" as they're running, which I found dorky. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure if you're supposed to find it dorky or not because I think it's a dorky alien character who says of it. Anyway, battle, battle, battle! Aliens versus troops. Cassie versus Modok. Ant Man versus Kang's time ships and the force field thingy around the Ant. Kang's ship or whatever, and uh, Cassie uh, gets giant and beats up Modok and tells him to stop being a dick and says, "There's always a, you can always stop being a dick." And he's like, "But I'm such a dick." Because you can always stop, and that's his arc. Is yep. he decides yeah. to stop being a dick? And yeah, he is, dies as an Avenger. I think, yeah. guys, I don't well, know. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't died yet. I don't know, man. 2023. I think a pretty good m- motto is: Remember, you can always stop. Being a dick. That's true. Yeah. It's not It's not the moral that we want, but it's the moral that we need. Or not even yeah. the moral we deserve. Yeah, but the moral we need. Um, and Kang tries to launch his ship, but Wasp and the Ant-Man stop it. And Cassie and Scott are reunited, and Kang zaps people with lasers, and the rebels run away. The rousing speech has worn off. His, his lasers are fucking nuts, man. It, like, he he dusts the people he shoots at them like they're fucking vampires in a Blade movie. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're purple dissolver type things. Our heroes are fighting with Kang. The super ant army shows up and they overrun Kang's troops. Uh, and uh, Darren attacks Kang to, and uh, and he, I guess, breaks Kang's force field or something. He gets through it and Kang is swept away by ants. And Modok dies saying, at least I died in Avenger. And they're all like, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you were, yeah. Because even someone dying right in front of them, someone they know, Cannot stop the quips. Got to keep <laughs> making make jokes. jokes. And I was like, and I know it's like a silly movie. It's an Ant-Man movie. He's MODOK, whatever. But the fact that they're literally like, well, he's dying in front of you. Has Cassie ever seen a man die right in front of her? And yet they're all still like, uh, 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 yeah, sure, man. Like they're still not taking it seriously. It's up, honestly. It's, I, it's super screwed up. <laughs> I loved, though, Paul Rudd after MODOK dies, his delivery of like, a lot of stuff happened today. <laughs> it's, it's a very funny. It's a very funny delivery of a joke that instantly removes me from any emotional connection to any character in the movie. Because it's again, uh, even if this was a villain of yours, it's someone you knew, someone you've known for years, and they're they're dead right in front of you. I don't know. I can't take this version of Modok seriously enough to. I don't know. It just now, really, I got a, but, but I got you, a question, they're guys. They're asking you as the audience to care whether he becomes feels like he's had a redemption arc. You know when. With uh, with Kang and his lasers, 
Can you just shoot anyone and turn them into dust immediately? Because uh, probably, he, he, I mean, he, he could have just Ant Man. He could have done instantly. that super easy multiple times. Yeah. Well, that's it's like so. So superhero rules are, function kind of like ninja rules, where as everyone knows, ninja math is that if one ninja is fighting you, they are incredibly unstoppable. They're a killing machine. But if lot for each additional ninja that fights you, each ninja becomes proportionally less powerful uh, and weaker. Yeah. And if you're attacked mm. by twenty ninjas, you can just knock them over yeah. with a fly swatter, they disappear into dust, back to the hand hell where the where the beast lies to eat to devour their souls. Uh, but So with this, I think it's similar where it's like the superhero characters have like mega plot protection. And so all those other people, they can easily get zapped, but the superheroes are like, uh, they're protected by the by the, by the their superhero main characterness. Okay, you know, cool. By the lasers. He's like, oh, if only I brought the lasers that kill main characters, not just yeah. the lasers that kill you extras. You have to choose, yeah. You gotta, die, you gotta change the setting. <laughs> now, I, this, this uh, the, the casualness towards death here did not bother me as much as in Guardians 3 when Star-Lord goes, okay, Groot, kill them all. And they're just <laughs> murdering everyone who works for, for uh, a high evolutionary. And at the end, when they have the chance to kill the high evolutionary, they're like, no, because we're heroes. <laughs> because we're Guardians of the Galaxy. exploding spaceship. And it's like, oh, so it's okay to kill labor but not management? Thanks, Guardians. So if I take a paycheck, because I have to maybe, and work for someone who is not the best, it's okay to murder me. But the guy at the top making the decisions, he's untouchable. That's okay. He's special. That is, the, that's a harsh rebuke for James Gunn's writing, a man who has not written anything in support of the WGA so far. <laughs> mm, I, that I don't know about. If that, is that true? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Mm, interesting. Well, okay. Uh, looks like James has got a gun, to quote Aerosmith, <laughs> in a way that doesn't make sense here. Uh, so um, <laughs> they keep Kang from going through his portal, and uh, Kang, uh, but everyone else goes home. So Janet opens a portal home. Uh, everyone gets there ex in except for Scott, and Kang stops him from leaving, and then Scott fights Kang to keep him from leaving the portal, and Kang really beats the shit out of Ant-Man. Yeah. He's just like destroying him as frankly with their power sets he should. He sh although yeah. yeah. Ant-Man at this just point decides Ant-Man doesn't use his powers at all in this fight, right? Like has he run out of particles maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But both but and but Kang it's like Kang was holding back before Ant-Man's holding back now until Wasp returns and blasts Kang into a machine that then turns into a different portal. It's a way of, I guess, not yeah. killing him, but instead of having him making it so he can come back later. It, it, it every every machine can turn into a portal in this movie. If it's a machine, watch out when you put your <laughs> toast in your toaster. Your bread, in your, don't put toast in your toaster to begin with. You put bread. I mean, in. Uh, if it's yeah. already toasted, I mean, let's do a toasted some more. What, what, what super toast? What I call <laughs> super toast? <laughs> super. In a way, a toaster is a portal <laughs> to toast. That's a good point. Good in point. a way, it's a time machine because you yeah. put bread in. And then in a minute, that bread <laughs> nope. has been transported no. No. ahead. No, I no, no, but, it has, but it's, it's been transformed into toast. It has it not been. aged <laughs> yeah. rapidly. So, it, oh, so you're saying that if you leave bread out, it will naturally turn into toast over a long period exactly. of time. Yeah. But the toaster speeds up that process. Oh, yeah. I see. What walks on four legs at dawn <laughs> I see. and toast legs at night? <laughs> Using the power of pimpernickel particles. Uh, <laughs> It does that. So the uh, anyway, yeah. So anyway, don't touch any machines. Don't touch your phone. It's a portal. Don't touch your car. It's a portal. Don't touch your CPAP machine. You always get sucked to a portal yeah. while you're sleeping. Uh, but now Scott and now Scott and Hope are trapped in the quantum verse for about three seconds until moments later, Cassie opens a new portal and just lets them through. It and uh, now. We're back where we started. San Francisco. Scott has a similar monologue to what he started. Everything's great, except he starts worrying. Well, wasn't Kang warning them about some kind of big evil thing? Was it the right thing to get rid of him? Maybe he did the wrong thing. 
I don't know. And he's left in this state of what uh, I get. I guess John Keats would call uh, negative capability. This uh, this ambigu- ambiguous ambiguous uh, uncertainty. They have to live in until we get to the mid credit scene. Unless well, Daniel, you're saying to say before say, we get no, to the mid credit scene, I want to say that like this is what I said. I think when we talked about Ant Man Quantum before, when you hadn't seen it, I like the sort of comic disquiet that this ends on because there are so many of these uh, superhero movies where people rush in to a world that they're unfamiliar with. They, fools like, rush in, like Matthew they, Perry and Selma Hayek. Yeah, mm-hmm. they you know vanquish someone, and maybe they need to be vanquished, but like the the details of the bigger picture are unknown, and. Like I like that this movie like has him issuing a warning and then has Scott at the end being like, Yeah, what was all that about? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like what what did I do here? I would like it more if it wasn't so clearly a setup for another movie. Yeah. You know. If it was really like, oh, now he has to live it's a funny way that he has to live wondering, like, did I do the right thing there? But we know yeah. if there's gonna be another movie because mid credit scene. We see three other Kangs. One of them I didn't recognize, but the other two are, of course, Ramatut, the Egyptian version of Kang, really the first version of Kang to appear in the comics, and my second favorite Kang, Immortus, the uh, the old geezer at the end of time who hates younger Kang and uh, <laughs> and and just sits around, uh, you know, with the doing whatever the Time Lords tell him. And the voice that Jonathan Majors chooses for Immortus is. Hilarious. It is such a cartoonish old man voice, I felt like. like. Yeah, it's pretty great. It sounds so goofy, like like a, like someone being an old man in a high school play or something <laughs> like that. It's like, I'm, oh, we have to do something. Who these heroes. Anyway, and they, they've assembled everyone, and all the Kangs show up, and as we mentioned earlier in the episode, they're just shouting nonstop. They're not even mm-hmm. saying words. They're just shouting, making noise, hollering. You know, it's good to be together. It's like a... Family reunion. Yeah, now yeah, we know. Imagine, th- imagine you were in a, I'm guessing some kind of weird like, Room what is that? Elliot's? What is that? Like a big, uh, like they're at like a venue, like they're about to see a show or yeah, something? Yeah, like an amphitheater. It does look like, like an amphitheater. A, it does look like they're at WrestleMania and they're all just cheering because something wrestling is going to happen, you know. But imagine you were at WrestleMania and everybody in the audience is you. That would <laughs> yeah. be crazy. I would and be shouting too. That's And all the wrestlers. I mean, like everyone that shows up is posing with the way you, you shout the way you go in the ring. Fear. I would be shouting with fear that's, in that situation. That's going to, uh, the thing that I like is that that it would leave it up to the audience to decide. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you well, go. I was asking about you personally, but sure, we'll leave it up to the audience. I'm a mystery, decide. Audience, you can decide whether Stuart would be shouting with excitement <laughs> or fear. Yeah, live in that uncertainty, Stu. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, so I, I, I hope that they bring in, when the, they do the Kang stuff, I hope they do bring in the fact that the Kangs don't like each other. That in the comics, Ramatut and Kang and Immortus are the same person at different times in their life, and ne- none of them like each other. And they're always trying to stop the other one. Even at- Kang hates that he's going to become Immortus. He thinks Immortus is this kind of like impotent, boring old man who has given up conquering. And I just love the idea that he's like, ugh, I hate that I'm going to become you. I-, I don't like this. I'm going to do whatever I can to-, to kill you so I don't have to be you. And they, I, don't- I hope that they bring in some aspect of that, that the Kangs don't like each other. Uh, but then- we have an end credit scene. Guys, are you ready to see the true face of Kang? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Because we're in like the 19th century or the early 20th century. It's like a vaudeville type stage. And Victor Timely, uh, Jonathan Majors dressed up in old-timey clothes, is uh-huh. giving a talk about time. And we see in the audience who's there but Loki and Agent Mobius from the Loki TV show. That's right, Owen Wilson. Yay. And and Owen Wilson's like, wow, I thought you said he was like some big scary guy. And Loki's like, he is. And then the text comes up, 
Kang will return. And it's like, no shit, dude. You you spent the whole end of the movie (laughs) building up Kang. Like, of course he's going to return. But as if he's the hero of the movie now, as if the movie is already like, we're bored of Ant-Man. You notice how all these Ant-Man characters weren't really the stars of the show? It's because we're tired of them. We're all about Kang now. Kang, 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 Kang. Kang, Kang, da-da-da-da, Kang, Kang. That's all they care about is Kang now. And I want the question I have for you guys is, with all this buildup, Kang has now been built up in a television show and this movie. Are you excited about more Kang? Well, <laughs> I think this is a complicated I think Dan's size spoke volumes. <laughs> uh, I think it's a complicated question. I feel like there's a little bit too much setup, uh, but maybe not. Um, but uh, I am confused to see. I, I wonder what Marvel's going to do. <laughs> well, I, even if you set aside the Jonathan Majors, yeah, aspect let's of let's it. let's explicitly set that aside because let's I do say, think let's that complicates that it. He, let's say but he has Kang. no p- personal, private life, legal problems, and he is just the same promising young actor that everyone loved in other stuff uh, that he did in Lovecraft Country There's, or Defy Bloods or whatever. I'm, you know. I'm somewhat and excited. He's very, and especially, wait, especially the last oh, Black Man yeah. in San Francisco, where he's yep. fan, he's great in that. You know, keeping in mind, I don't know how he is as a person. I'm somewhat excited. I'm not really familiar with Kang as a comics character. Uh, I, you know, part of me is like, oh, do we need at this point another like big villain that everything is working towards? Could they like do it as well again? At the same time, I do like the idea of like, yes, but this villain is several versions of the same character. Like, I, uh, so yeah, sure. I think, I think he's interesting. I think this is a weird Ant Man movie because it is basically a Kang movie already. Yeah. It does feel like they wanted to make a that Ant Man is being kind of uh, what's the word in wrestling for when they throw someone under the bus to to launch another wrestler? Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. There's a, uh, there's a term for it. Uh, listeners, write in. They're not totally it, doing that with this because Ant Man doesn't get defeated by Kang. But, but it they feels are, a little bit like there's it's setting up Kang, and I, it feels also like they're setting up Cassie as the next generation, so that the when the old folks retire. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of that, and so it's a transitional Ant Man movie, I guess. But I have to say, as someone who was excited that when they first said Kang was going to be a bad guy in the movies, because I like Kang a lot, I think he has a different way of doing things than the others. I lo- <laughs> which is which is that like he's, he's got that, he's got a different of, attitude. He's got, he's got his own stuff. But that's on a, sunglasses. He is a time travel based villain, and so yeah. he can travel through time. He can go back into the past and undo things that he's made mistakes. He can. Uh, I feel like I'm not that excited about this, the multiverse aspect of him though. Like they've done so much multiverse stuff though. And I really wish yeah. they'd do something that really took advantage of the fact that like he's someone who can go back and if you defeat him, he can just go back and do and try it again at an earlier time or at a different time. And I hope they take advantage of that, but I'm worried that's just gonna be like an army of CGI Kangs crawling all over the Avengers. You, you know? know what? Yeah. I don't know if they can do that though now, because they've they have they have constructed a multiverse rather than like a branching universe rather than like yeah. one where you can correct your past mistakes. Like I, I'm worried that it's going to be just yeah. like another movie full of characters meeting alternate versions of themselves, which mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of by now. And we're also seeing in the DC movies that the DC movies have also now embraced a multiverse aspect. Uh, Kang's in the DC movies? Kang's in the, that's the surprise is Kang is in the, is Michael Keaton is actually playing Kang pretending to be <laughs> Batman. Oh, that's yeah. wild. He's changed his name to Michael Kang to, you for the Kang? movie. You want to get Kang? Let's get Kang, he says. <laughs> um, Where does he get those wonderful Kangs? 
Uh, Bird Kang. <laughs> I'm Kang. <laughs> anyway, um, so let's do Fat Kang. This town needs a Kang. <laughs> judgments. <laughs> Is this a good bad movie? I've seen bad. The Exorcist <laughs> 400 times and it keeps getting Kangier every time I see it. This Kang needs a lot of his slime. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Michael Keaton. I'm just doing Michael Keaton. Oh, okay. Mr. Uh, Kang. Come on, Kang Ho. He was in Gung Ho, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kang aplicity. Um, yeah, sure. It's Kang let's, shift. Uh, let's uh, let's say whether this is a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, a movie we kind of like. I mean, you, Dan, you joke about Kang aplicity. That is basically what and they're that's doing. That's what it is. <laughs> that is what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> so is. Michael that's... Keaton should be playing Kang. He did it already. Oh, can you imagine? Um, let, let's final judgments. Uh, I'll just quickly say yes. For me, the Marvel films have a somewhat low ceiling, with a couple of exceptions. And a that high second Thor movie, you really like floor. that Thor Dark World movie, right? <laughs> I I mean you I love, like it. Okay, Dan said, Dan said the odd Thors, not a fan. The even numbered Thors, he really likes. So Dan yeah. loves Thor two and Thor four. Thor Dude, one and Thor would, three, not a fan. I would take Thor two over Thor four. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I don't know. Maybe I like the dark elves. Who anyway, even though Thor rhymes with four. True. Uh, in keeping with that, I would say that this is still a movie I kind of liked. Like, I, I, it's probably within my least favorite five or so MCU movies, and yet I still find enough in it. I don't know whether it's Stockholm Syndrome. I enjoy it. Uh, you know, like it's a functional movie a lot of the time. Still, even <laughs> raves <while. laughs> Dan McCoy. It's a functional movie a lot of the time. Even while it, like, you know, is not the movie I, I would wish it was. What do you say, Stuart? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think this is clearly one of the weaker entries in the the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It feels uh, like a mismatch for the characters. It feels like it doesn't particularly do a, a service to any of the characters, uh, except for Kang. Um, and maybe not even him. Um I mean, there's still, obviously, there's some still stuff that's fun. Uh, I like la the laser face guy. Uh, He's like, that's a cool design. That, some of the cool designs have cool designs, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, and like, I mean, if you put movie, like, they managed to get some, like, movie stars in the movie, and I like watching Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer do stuff. Uh, if, if, if that's the bar that you're setting, whether the richest it, company in Hollywood can manage to get movie stars in their <laughs> movies... But it, it highlights one of the things that I think Marvel does has done well and what their what their brand is built on, which is getting movie stars to play their characters. <laughs> which is yeah, to, to play insidiously co-opt all of Hollywood's brightest stars. Well, well, to, well to, that's to, the interesting to, thing is that they I feel like there's there's a, a movement within Marvel to try and bring in new talent that are yeah. not established movie stars, possibly ones that are willing to take a not as strong contract. Um, and it's, it doesn't work like, like Robert Downey Jr. His like Iron Man, his Tony Stark performance is what built the Marvel movies. Yeah. Although that was like a big comeback for him too. I mean, he was already sort of on the- No, but, but I see what Stuart's saying. Road, that they, they were playing yeah. off of an established actor, which yeah, is, yeah, which exactly. is something, which, which is, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock did the same thing. You cast an actor because they bring with them all the associations of their previous work and who, who, what the audience thinks of them. I do think that at this point, the 
they're leaning on it a little too heavily. Like you look at that Krylar character. If that wasn't Bill Murray playing that character, mm-hmm. there's no character there. Like, and I know he's yeah. a minor character in it, but but like, uh, if it's not Michael Douglas playing Hank Pym, Hank Pym does not have a personality and is not not yeah. a character, you know. And if it's not Michelle Pfeiffer playing Janet Van Dyne, she doesn't have a she's there's no character. And so I think they're leaning on a little too heavily, especially at a time when Marvel should be feeling like they have a brand and a style that's strong enough that they can start moving away that they no longer need celebrity support. Yeah. But I think the opposite is true. I think they're feeling less sure of themselves because there's so many movies into this thing and they've invested so much money into it. And at this point, it it kind of feels like creatively they are not giving themselves the refreshing time necessary between films to create new things. And so maybe they do feel like they need to rely on big names super hard. I mean, like when your character, like the big name in the movie should be Ant-Man and not necessarily that the person playing Ant-Man. Uh, but the same way that like... um the James Bond movies are movies that create stars rather than yeah. rather than using yeah. stars for the most part. Uh, that being said, I'm going to apply. I'm going to say this movie is the opposite of the movie Solo to me. Okay, where I think Solo is a movie that would have been a better movie if it was not a Star Wars movie. I think people would have liked it more, and it would have mm-hmm. come off as more of a fun space heist if it didn't have all the Star Wars baggage. This was the opposite for me. I think without the Marvel imprint and names. It doesn't. It's like not even really there. Like there's just not a lot yeah. of movie there. And so this is one where, uh, in some, I wish they had given it more of its own self to stand up under its own strength, more backbone, more muscle, more character, more stuff that where you could say like, oh yeah, well this movie, it, it doesn't have to exist wholly on its own. It's still chapter thirty something of a infinite chapter storyline. But I wish there was more to it that was like that felt like it was trying to make this movie cool and neat and like. Interesting as opposed this to just- This movie is the event, not the thing it's yes, setting up. Yeah. exactly. It feels like this movie could easily have been an episode of the Ant-Man TV show, but it's been stretched out for super long length. Yeah. You know. So you loved it. I call it Ant-Ant. On the scale of on the scale of ants to not ants, I give it ants. My fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Wait, what's happening? Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security. Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun. Class of forever. Parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? (laughs) There is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. I would like to thank our sponsors. Uh, for one, Squarespace, which is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, and even your time. 
Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates, categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. How about insights? We all want insight, flashes of insight. What about insights about how well your, uh, your website with Squarespace is working? You can gain them. You can figure out who's visiting your site and how they are interacting with your content with our in-depth website analytics tools. You don't want to have to analyze things on your own. You want a robot to do it for you. Give me some tools to do that. Yeah, page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you know what else? Squarespace has the tools you need to get your business off the ground, including e-commerce templates, inventory management, a simple checkout process, and secure payments. If you're running a store, you can do it through Squarespace. So why not check out squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial, and when you are ready to launch, use offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, the Flophouse is also sponsored by Smalls. And by Smalls, I don't mean we're taking another trip to the quantum realm. <laughs> no, I'm talking about <laughs> Smalls, the company that makes delicious cat food for the feline in your house. That's right. My house is filled with two feisty felines, Muscles and Meatball Wellington. Mm. And the only thing they like more than bedeviling me is chomping on some food. And Smalls makes delicious food for them that I can tell is healthy. It's made by nutritionists, and it features ingredients that you can find in your refrigerator. Smalls food looks fresh. It looks like real, actual stuff instead of some weird pre-molded paste. Um, and it smells like food, and my cats like it, and... It seems like they are healthier and they their fur is shiny and they love me even more and their breath smells like uh like fish and chicken. And that's what you uh, want when they stick mm. their face right in my they stick their mouth right in my face to prove that they've eaten. Um so why don't you uh head over and get yourself some smalls. Higher quality ingredients mean a healthier and happier life for your kitty. So head to smalls.com slash flop and use promo code flop at checkout for 50% off of your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you can find, but you have to use our code flop for 50% off your first order. One last time for everybody in the back seats, that's promo code flop 50% off of your first order plus free shipping. And you know what? Uh, we don't uh, mention our jumbotrons a lot. Uh, I just noticed we didn't have any Jumbotrons this week, and I'm like, maybe that's because we don't uh, mention them. People don't know how available. to do it. Yeah. Go over to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron if you want uh, to pay a little bit that's less than like our normal commercial rates to get either a business message uh, or a personal message on the show. If uh, you have a, you know, a customer base or a friend that seems like they love the Flophouse, uh, why not get, why not get a, get a jumbotron? And Elliot, you look like you had something to say. Hey, I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to mention it again. I have books that are available to buy, and I also have bills that I need to pay. So, if you know a child in your life, why not get them one or both of my picture books, Horse Meets Dog and Sharko and Hippo? They're available on bookstore shelves. Or if you know a not a child, but a horror-loving grown-up or maybe a really cool teenager. Why not pick them up my comic book, Maniac of New York? There's two collected volumes, Maniac of New York, uh, the, the Death Train, and Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning. 
and currently out in comic stores are issues of the third series, Maniac of New York. Don't call it a comeback. That series is not finished yet. You can still pick up the back issues and finish it as it happens. The third issue will come out eventually. I don't know when exactly, but it will come out. (laughs) And if you want to support the writer's strike, because as this episode is being recorded, we are still on strike. Who knows? Maybe we won't be by the time it's over. Uh, By the time you get this, maybe we'll be gone, which would be great. Make a donation, please, if you would like, to the Entertainment Community Fund at entertainmentcommunity.org, a resource for anyone in the entertainment community who finds himself in financial need during this time of striking or striking-related unemployment. Thank you for your contribution, should you make one. Let's move on to letters from listeners. If you're a listener, maybe this is one of your letters. I mean, most (gasps) likely if you wrote it. That would oh. be the, yeah, that would was, be a clue. Yeah. So I was going to say, I, I listened to the episodes, but I didn't write any letters. But yeah, I thought for a second, maybe it was one of my letters. Any it's letters, possible. there's, uh, I would say, a close to 0% chance this is one of your letters. Mm, okay. Yeah. Do you enter fugue states often? Uh, yeah. I enter fugue states enough that it's conceivable <laughs> nope. that I sent it's us a letter. Now, what do you but, think yeah. of the Takata and fugue in B minor? I, I like it. It's like a Takata is a mixture of like tomato and cottage cheese. And that's, that's healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if the 70s taught us anything. <laughs> is that when, like, I feel like they're. This, yeah, real, the 70s and early 80s. Cheese. There's this great super, DC superheroes healthy cookbook from the late 70s, early 80s that I have a copy of, and every recipe has cottage cheese in it. And they just slather it around as if it's the healthiest yeah. thing in the world. Miracle bomb. Okay. This is from Blake, last name withheld, who writes Hey, Peaches. So, Jason Momoa and John Cena are apparently teaming up for an action comedy called Killer Vacation, but I have a better idea. Mm -hmm. Momoa and Cena in the inevitable remake of Tango and Cash. Thoughts? Would these two work as Russell and Stallone? Is it sacrilege to even suggest a Tango and Cash remake? Love you guys. Blake, last name withheld. I, you know, I'm not... Jason Momoa and John Cena or John C. Riley? Uh, <laughs> well, let's start with the asked question, which is John Cena. <laughs> okay, okay. And then maybe okay, if we okay. have time, we I, can talk I about I can totally see John Cena in the tango, Ray Tango role. He's the yes. bespectacled suit-wearing one. Obviously. And Jason Momoa as It would as be Cash. pretty funny to Cash switch the wild up. man. <laughs> yeah. I, this, is, this reminds me of a funny story that I don't think I've told in the podcast yet. Have I where – After I took my kids to see the Super Mario Brothers movie, which, of course, we went to an AMC theater, so they showed us every trailer for every movie that has been made or will ever be made beforehand. Uh, One of them was for Fast X or Fast 10. I don't know how it's pronounced. I don't care. And weeks later, my younger son, who is four and a half, he's in the car and he goes, remember the movie we saw the commercial for before Super Mario Brothers with the cars? And I'm like, oh, the Fast and Furious movie? Yeah, he goes, who was the guy with the long hair and the sunglasses? The bad guy, and I was like, "Oh, his name's Jason Momoa," and he goes, "He's cool." <laughs> <laughs> and I just—I don't know how long that character has been living in in my son's head, but just him being like, "That's a cool character." You know what? Yeah. I saw the movie. He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> not not a surprise. Not a surprise. Um, yeah, but, yeah, and he's the bad guy. He's but the bad by the, guy. By the end of the movie, he shows up at the cookout, right? <laughs> One assumes that that's the, the you know, that's if the series is coming to an end, then that's the last shot is him I mean, my, joining them and drinking a beer happily. My, there, I met someone on the uh, on the strike picket line whose theory is that this is the first of a time travel trilogy <laughs> that, that eventually we'll see 
uh, we'll see, we'll see uh, uh, Toretto from now going back in time to the first movie. And uh, he's like, he's like this, I think they're building up to it. I think the series can only get sillier. This is what they're building up mm-hmm. to. So we'll find out if this is a time travel trilogy or not. It would be amazing. It would be amazing if a bad guy's like, I have to stop the family and has to go back in time to try and prevent <laughs> Dominic Toretto from being born. <laughs> <laughs> He's born in the backseat of a car, of course. Of course he was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, hope that I, answered your question about, um, <laughs> I, oh, no, I, wait. <laughs> I'm gonna say, as someone who was pitching a Tango and Cash animated series not too long ago, I'm fine with a remake of Tango and Cash. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. I think those guys would be fun in it. I just want the movie to be as silly as the original. Yeah, I mean, I like, look, I'm, in general, I would prefer to see more original properties, but if remakes is where we're at, I think that that would actually be pretty good casting for a Tango and Cash remake. Yeah. Oh, this this reminded me of something that I forgot to mention earlier. Sorry about this. When uh, we were talking about how the uh, the Marvel movies uh, with with the uh, now they should lean on their characters more. They've introduced them to people. Mm-hmm. How the big the big victory with the Guardians of the Galaxy movie was. Oh, we can make a movie that's a hit with characters that people are not familiar with. That's a huge achievement for us. And it was only years later that I realized. Oh, but that's what most movies do, and they pull it off. Easily. Most movies don't expect the audience to walk in knowing the characters and their entire histories already. But, yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't go in, you're like, man, Lydia Tarr is such a good composer. I hope <laughs> nothing bad comes out of her career. <laughs> like, I can't wait to see what Kate Blanchett's take on the famous character of Tar is, you know? <laughs> uh, this other letter is from Sophie, last name withheld, who writes Sophie S. Choice. The S stands for Stephanie. <laughs> wow. Dear floppers, while walking through a crowded doctor's office waiting room, your podcast decided to start playing in my pocket. I was able to turn it off quickly, but not before pulling it out and hearing Elliot say very, very clearly, masturbation. Thanks. <laughs> Sophie, last name withheld. So there you go. Uh, is there anything you want to say to Sophie, Elliot? Maybe apologies, uh, tendered. I, I- I don't know All what right. one. It's not wasn't my fault, and also it's <laughs> it's a natural thing that almost everybody does. And if they're not doing it, they probably should. Do not do it. Why not? Yeah. It's free. Why not? It's great. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> that's that's the main thing. Is it's free? Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. You know, in this world that's increasingly commodified, mm-hmm. why don't you do something that's free? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? When you if you if so here's here's my assignment for Flophouse listeners. I want you to find a time when you're alone or if this is something you do with a partner with your partner's consent, I want you to masturbate to a fantasy that is completely empty of corporate-owned IP characters. <laughs> wow. I don't See want, if it's I don't, possible. Just make it, just Ugh. live in, oh, do, live in, live in a fantasy okay. world that Disney doesn't have its mouse paws all over. <laughs> oh, man, let me think. Okay, can't do JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> God. No, no. Dan, no Jessica Rabbit. Oh no! That's Debbie the- from Adam's Family Values. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's no here's the thing: is that Family you Guy do- characters for some reason? <laughs> why? Why do I see so many ads of porn that? Wait, like what? of all the things, I this can, is outside of my realm now. Now wait, you're talking about it. I can eroticize had. nearly anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the Family Guy characters, the fact that it's there's so much pornography one. out there. Yeah. I mean, Dan, when you when you spend as much time as you do googling Pep Boys gay threesome, I think that it's, <laughs> you're going to get that kind of stuff. 
Like oh, I was you're thinking that that's where how I got there. I don't yeah, understand I so. why nobody has invented a flashlight with the little in like a Pringles can with the Pringles guy's face to use. <laughs> that seems like like that seems like it's printing money. So like you're having see. sex with with the with a Pringles can or with the Pringles guy. Yeah, and you can call well, it mustache ride. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> we did this together. Uh, <laughs> we're we both did to it. blame. Now, now, Dan, uh, I mean, and now, yeah. I was just going to say the the can is the body of the fleshlight toy. That, and yes, the that's top what I assumed. Of it is the face of <laughs> oh, the I Pringles see. Guy. I see. I misunderstood that. Uh, mm. Stu, uh, if you're if you're fantasizing about Joan Cusack, I think that's that's okay. If you're fantasizing about it, her character, it's not okay. That's the problem. Yeah, okay. it's hard to separate it. There's something very special about Debbie because she <laughs> murders people. <laughs> Wait, in which which movie? Adam's Family Values. Oh, okay, right, right, The right. sexy Adam's Family movie, Dan. Yes. Adam's Family Values. Sure. I mean, there's always a low-level eroticism between Gomez and Morticia. So okay, let's that. move on to— And it's a healthy way to introduce—you're introducing kids to the idea that sex doesn't have to end with marriage. And I think that's a healthy message for all of us to remember, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, the, yeah. maybe the kids don't need to know about it. Look at Dan's <laughs> letterbox. Is that torque? Yeah, that's what I'm going to recommend, actually. Well, yeah. Thank you for teeing me up. Uh, this is where we recommend movies uh, that we actually liked. Um, Torque is a movie that came out uh, <laughs> in the early 2000s. It was, uh, it was sort of, it was sort of meant loosely as a actually like a Fast and the Furious parody, which is funny because. It, you know, it's almost indistinguishable from a present-day Fast and Furious movie, how ridiculous they've gone. It's still, it's still wilder, is the thing that I would say to recommend it to you. It is still it still goes further than how far fast movies have gone. But it's played like a basically like a straight action film with some jokes in it. Yeah, I don't know that it's supposed to be a parody necessarily. I think I think well, they, were, they were doing, I think, their version. They're like, let's do it with bikes and we'll get zanier. <sighs> I, I mean, it could be spin, but I have read stuff that suggests that to some degree is intentionally like a takeoff. But it is also oh, like, I, see. It, I mean, a takeoff, I guess, is is closer than a parody because I think that you can be taking something off while still being basically a serious action movie in in certain ways. And like, yeah, it really true. is uh, tongue in cheek, let's say. Uh, but the tongue has you know shot through the cheek and <laughs> embedded itself in a tree next to you. Um, you know, it's just a movie that is a bunch of wild, uh, bike and car stunts that are strung together, you know, with a plot that if you actually like pay attention, is, they put a little more care into the structure of it than I think you, there's so much meathead style on top of it that you don't realize like, oh, that's kind of cool that they like establish all these characters and you understand why they're bouncing off of each other the way they are. Um, but it is just. You know, if you poured a bunch of pixie sticks into some code red, uh, <laughs> that's what that movie is. Um, and I saw it at a weird Wednesday at the Alamo, and the audience ate it up. It is a blast with a bunch of people. So it's a torque. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to recommend uh, a movie that I watched for the first time recently um, uh, with the passing of Tina Turner. I finally got around to watching What's Love Got to Do With It mm. uh, from 1993. And it's a biopic uh, focusing on and a genre that I normally have no real fondness for. Um, but 
the two central performances of Angela Bassett as Tina Turner and uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Ike Turner are incredible. Uh, the two of them, like, it's like Lawrence Fishburne is like an all-time villain. He is so fucking horrible. <laughs> and yet, like, a very believable character. A very, like, it's a huge performance. And Angela Bassett's incredible as well. Not to mention the fact that she is the most insanely ripped person I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> like, she is so jacked. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very meaningful. And the way that in the end of the movie, they managed to actually weave in some actual footage of Tina Turner. Normally, I find like when you take a biopic and you mix in footage of the actual person, it ends up kind of being a little weird, but there's something very special about it. It feels very triumphant. Um, so if you're looking for a way to celebrate a generational talent uh, like Tina Turner, this is a good way to do it. And I'm going to recommend a movie starring someone who is not particularly popular with people right now, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't care whose toes I step on. Yes, I do. I don't want to step on people's toes. But in this case, I'm pretending. I'm putting on a, on a false front because I don't want people to get mad at me. Uh, and that's a movie called Miami Blues. So this is a movie starring uh, Alec Baldwin and J Jennifer Jason Lee and Fred Ward. Uh, I remember when it came out when I was a kid and I was too young to see it and I could not really figure out what kind of movie it was supposed to be from the, from the commercials and the trailers. And watching it, I'm like, I don't know that anyone was going to be able to figure out exactly what kind of movie it is because it's a, you know, a kind of comedy crime movie, but not a full-on comedy and much more crime. And I think that until the heyday of uh, of Tarantino movies, that was still kind of an a fringe thing for a movie to be, for it to be a a, a more out and out crime movie that had a sense of humor. And in it, uh, Alec Baldwin is a sociopath, maybe not that different from real life. I don't know. I've never met him. Uh, who is a con artist, but not a particularly brilliant or even effective con artist in a lot of ways. It's but he's better at figuring out people to prey on than he is at keeping his story straight. And he uh falls in love with Jennifer Jason Lee, who's a very naive young woman, uh, in many ways, but is also a woman who is desperate for a kind of like stability and comfort that she thinks he can give him and that she thinks he can give her. And uh Fred Ward is a a police officer who uh gets wrapped up with these two and Alec Baldwin in a in a fit of anger, uh, beats him up and steals his badge and his dentures and his gun and decides to present himself as a kind of fake police officer in order to rob people and gets uh, into more and more trouble doing this. And it's the kind of movie that like uh, – it's it's not based on a it's based on a novel by Charles uh, Williford, mm -hmm. but it feels like an Elmore Leonard type story in a lot of ways. And well, so – I, yeah. Sorry, I just saying that I I read the book as well as I've I've seen this movie and I like it a lot too. I read the book because Elmore Leonard cited him as like he's like he's the best crime novelist. So like uh -huh. the, definitely a similar type of thing. It's and it's just like I really liked it a lot. I like spending time with these characters, even they were when they were being even when Alec Baldwin's character is being you know like a a, a terrible person. There's still something fascinating about them. Uh, and it was uh, written and directed by George Armitage, who also did Gross Point Blank. So. It's like a little bit less comical version of Gross Point Blank in a way, mm -hmm. but a similar tone. So that's Miami Blues. If you want to see um, a performance that uh, I did not think Alec Baldwin was going to be able to pull off the whole movie, but he does uh, really well. And Fred Ward and Jennifer Jason Lee, Jason Lee look, Fred Ward and Jennifer Jason Lee are just like super likable throughout the whole movie. So that's Miami Blues. Well, you know what? 
That's the end of the show. Yay, we did it. We survived uh, the quantum verse, guys. We made it out alive. We made it's it just back. just we trapped what's Kang next, there. The Kang Dynasty? The mm-hmm. Kang Dynasty, when Kang is going to fight himself with big shoulder pads and they roll into a pool. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be great. Um, uh, hey, I, we haven't said this in a while. If you like the show, maybe get on iTunes, give us a good rating. I think I said in a... Previous episode, I've, I felt bummed out by some bad ratings that were not about uh, the show or about whether the show is funny, but about, uh, you know, right-wing trolls They're merely angry. about us being taken over by the woke mind virus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we are? So, That's crazy. It's too bad. So, it's weird how when the woke <laughs> mind virus takes over, you feel better and you, you're nicer to people. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're not just sort of like looking for ways to exclude and uh, put others down. Um, anyway... Yeah, I don't know. If you if you you're inclined to, leave us a nice review on uh, iTunes. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell other folks about us that you might think would like the show. Might think would like. I I'm now I'm talking like I'm a little lavender character. Uh, thank you to our network, Maximum Fun. Go to maximumfun.org mm-hmm. if you want to check out other great podcasts on the network. Uh, there are a ton of them. Uh, thank you to Alex Smith, who goes by the name Howell Doughty on various socials for being our producer. He does music. He does videos. He does Twitch streams. Check him out and what he does on his own. Uh, but uh, now I say thank you for listening. For the Flophouse, I have been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Ellie Kalen. And as long as we're saying things that we haven't said in a while, but we should, Dan Stewart, I love you. Oh, uh, thanks. come on. Haunted by numbers. I am the ghost of four. Look how easily I am divisible into two. And I am the ghost of nine. Add me to something. (laughs) Go ahead, I dare you. Here's an easy tip. Act like you're adding ten, but subtract one from the other number. Oh, <laughs> multiply me by a number and then add the two digits together of the <laughs> of the, of what you get, and it becomes a nine again. Oh, <laughs> well, no, we're, in, we're doing math. math and magic now. I don't like yeah. math and magic. No, math and magic. That's the devil's work, yeah. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.